This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 166. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lon Ramiyasha. And today we are discussing Ken Buckley's Tokyo Revengers, which has really blown up recently thanks to its new anime and is on track to become one of the highest selling one of the year over in Japan and for good reason, as we'll discuss with our good friend Sakaki and Zach from Uchu Shelf, who are big fans of the series. And we have a really good discussion of some of the interesting themes and topics the series explores, as well as some of its kind of shakier elements. But overall, we found a lot to enjoy in the series, and we definitely came away highly recommending it. And it definitely is one of the most interesting time travel, redemption, growing up type tales there is out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun talking about it and going through this series. I also really want to thank Zach for coming on the show. It was our first time having him on the show, and hopefully it won't be the last. I would love to have him back on in the future. I'm sure we say it at the end of the discussion, but uh, if you haven't checked out his YouTube channel at Uchu Shelf, uh, you really should. Uh, he's probably one of my favorite like manga tubers out there, and I, I always really enjoy his stuff, so... Uh, please go check that out. I'm sure we'll have links to all of his stuff in the show notes. He's been doing a lot of cool stuff lately. I also just want to put out there that uh, we also we also say this in the discussion, but um, be sure to look at the time codes for this episode in the description because uh, we're going to be structuring this uh, sort of discussion kind of unusual to how we usually structure our discussions because usually uh, I'm going to say we're not really like a spoiler safe podcast most of the time. And that's kind of by design. That's by choice. Um, but for Tokyo Revengers in particular, we kind of had no choice but to kind of like section off a spoiler and non-spoiler parts of the discussion. So be sure to look at the time cuts for this. We're going to start off with some uh, spoiler safe discussion at first. But this series has a lot of twists and turns that kind of require our discussion. So there is basically the second half of this of this discussion is going to be uh, a, a spoiler zone. So just want to put that out there for anybody who's kind of a conscious about those, especially with this series, because part of the reason I really liked this series was because there are a lot of twists that I did not see coming that uh, really threw me for a loop, and I would really hate to, like, spoil those for everybody who haven't, like, read the series yet, so, uh, so yeah, again, those sections will be in the, in the time codes for this episode, so just kind of pay attention to those this time around, that's just my warning there, um, but for now, I don't think there's anything else we really need to talk about at the top of the show, and I think we could just Get right into the discussion. Yeah, it's time for us to clasp hands, give us a shake, and then leap back in time to when we record the discussion. Because little did we know, but there are major ramifications of that discussion that had lasting consequences on our present. And we had to go back in the past to revisit it all to learn how to prevent calamities in the future. So let's get right into it. All right, hold my hand. We're, go we're going back to the past. I actually traveled back in time and back to May 23rd of 2021. Uh, still in the same year. That's 
kind of underwhelming, but uh, why would I be sent back here? Oh, oh yeah, because it's been two months since we recorded this podcast. Okay, that I guess that makes sense. Again, kind of underwhelming, but okay. But wait, maybe I've been sent back in time specifically to make sure this podcast is recorded. That way in the future, I can make sure it comes out on time. Boy, this entire mission is really underwhelming. <laughs> but nonetheless, I have to be the one to lead the discussion, to ensure that this podcast comes out, to ensure a brighter future. I will change the future. Gotta get back in time. Gotta get back in time. Get back, get back. Get back, Alright guys, this meeting of the Manga Mavericks gang is now in session. I gather you all here today to talk about what I'm just going to say right off the bat is a really, really great series that I'm really excited to talk about with Tokyo Revengers by Ken Wakui. And uh, yeah, this meeting is in session. And uh, with me, uh, obviously, uh, as always, is my... Uh, I don't want to call you like the vice captain because I feel like we... How about co-captain? Co-captain's good. I feel like we switch between, like, who's, like, the host or whatever. We carry yeah. equal host duties, you know? For the sake of this bit, you are co-captain. Lamarabayasha. Yeah. Fall into line, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess that makes uh, our good friend and other uh, first special guest, Sakaki, our, uh, we'll call you our captain of the first division. Yeah. Our first and only division? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if, if we're if, if we were to go on, I mean, I would consider like you know our good friend Maxi Bernard our like probably our second division captain. Yeah, and the V Lord would be like third division, and Marion could be fourth division. Yeah, I don't know. I could see us building up a gang from there, but then it's kind of sad that the <laughs> gang is not all here on this podcast. We're uh, missing yeah. most of our members. They're with us in spirit. This is like Tomon at the start, or during the middle of the <laughs> fight with uh, Tenjiku, and they're missing all their captains, basically. Anyway, I, I'll do my best to serve the the Monger Mavericks gang uh, agenda. <laughs> 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 I wish I had a motorcycle to like run in the background. Cause <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll edit it in post. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, and I guess we should introduce our newest recruit i guess we could call him that <laughs> our other very special guest first time on the podcast been wanting to have him on for a while founder of the youtube channel uchu shelf uh zach you can't see it but imagine i'm standing up my hands are behind my back and i'm bowed as far down as humanly possible <laughs> you are the Takamichi to our i'll try not to cry too much <laughs> this podcast. i'm gonna cry a little bit we'll cry a little bit but not as much <laughs> Uh, but no, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no problem. I mean, like, like I said, we've been we've been wanting to have you on for a bit. And, you know, again, like I was saying off mic, it was just kind of a matter of what to have you on for. So um, we really enjoy your YouTube channel. I think I first found you through your um, uh, what was it? Through your manga reader videos. Oh, the manga rock. Oh yeah, those uh, manga, manga rock. rock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those were those were fun videos. I had to take those videos. I had to put them on private. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it was, oh, for real? Wow. I, I didn't want to say anything on Twitter, but basically uh, someone, and it's not like 
hugely private information because my public identity is tied to my job. Um, but someone basically like put a bunch of like my personal information in a comment on all three videos. And I was like, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Doxing you just because you made an anti-piracy video is just so awful. It's so it's funny. I mean that it, I I have to find fun like some comedy right. in it because it's just like someone is so mad that I was like, you should probably buy your comic books that they're like, you know what? I'm gonna find this guy's name and his email address, and his phone number, and post it in the comments. I'm like, I feel almost honored that someone was that upset that they went through the effort. Yeah, it's like uh, people sending us death threats because we told them that they should probably not read and buy Brony Kenshin anymore because they shouldn't support mm-hmm, that yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, YouTube's kind of a cesspool. God, so so we've all... I mean, we really are a gang, because we've all been threatened yeah. at some point. Yeah, <laughs> we've been living on the edge. I mean, I've been threatened by... I hate to say this in front of Colton, by Gintama fans, so... <laughs> no, look, some, some... Look, it doesn't matter what fandom it is, some fans are assholes. It's it's just the way of the mm-hmm. world. Comes with the territory when you're making anything online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's a shame, but that is how it is. Well, just think of it this way. They only threaten us because they know that we're the most powerful manga podcast gang on the internet. I don't even know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're not nearly as big as Tomon, I don't think. Okay, so I gotta ask that. Who in your podcast group is the Kisaki that we should watch out for? Ooh, uh, see, I don't, I don't that, know. You know what? Unfortunately, I think that would be Wheeler because he threatens to betray us <laughs> by uh, merging us into his network of podcasts. But <laughs> like, he has all these other network of podcasts that he is kind of encroaching in on us with. Wait, then that would make me the Kiseki because I'm on his no, side and you, your uh, side. <laughs> no, that would make you the Hanma. Oh, okay. <laughs> Or as my brother calls him, uh, James Charles. <laughs> <laughs> I can't unsee it now. I'm sorry. But if he's your favorite character. But, um, yeah, like I said, we're here to talk about Tokyo Revengers. And um, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm sure we all are. It's, I mean, I, I, hate, I hate to, like, bury the lead. But, like, this series is really good. And I had a lot of fun reading it. And I'm actually really excited to talk about it here. And, um... I think we're going to start off by saying that uh, we're going to try to kind of walk around all of the, like, big plot twists and stuff, because I know the anime is still airing at the time of this recording right now, and a lot of people are probably getting into the series through the anime, especially in Japan, as we've seen that, like, manga sales for Tokyo Revengers have, like, gone up significantly, which is pretty cool. Yeah, they went from, like, 3 million to 17 million in just the span of a few weeks of the anime starting. Woof, that's, that's amazing. But, uh... So I think we're going to structure the conversation in a way where we're going to kind of walk around spoilers a bit, try not to give away anything uh, too major, talk kind of generally about the series, and then we'll we'll let you guys know before we like get into the spoiler talk, but hopefully that won't be for like a good length like, of the podcast here. Um, but yeah, I think we should just get started, and uh, I guess, Zach, you're our guest if you want to go first and just kind of talk about what it was like for you getting into Tokyo Revengers and kind of your first impressions of it when you first started reading it. Well, I'd been kind of coming off a really big delinquent kick. Like, I'd been reading, there's another Ken Wakui series he has called um, Shinjuku Swan. And I just watched the, um, I watched the movies of that and I read the manga a little bit of that. And I was like, man, I wonder what this Tokyo Revengers is like. Because I kept hearing about it and seeing it here and there on, on, on Twitter and, and Facebook and everything. And I think it was pretty much after the first chapter. Immediately loved it. It was just something about it. It was like, it has everything. It has like this time travel aspect. It has this kind of lingering feeling. I think everybody can 
relate to of like looking back to your past and thinking, yeah, I would have done that a little bit differently. And the art is fantastic. And then just a general delinquent story of just a bunch of kids just getting into trouble and thinking they're tougher than they are. It's just fantastic. Mm hmm. You know, I told I totally forgot that we probably should have like started off with uh, with telling people what Tokyo Revengers is about. But I, I think you, you covered it pretty well. That's kind of the general gist of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was there anything else you wanted to say or? That was pretty much it. I mean, I just I pretty much loved it right off the bat. And every arc that I've read so far since is just absolutely topped it. It's just it's it gets so much better incrementally each time you read it. No. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess Sakaki, do you want to go next? Sure. Uh. And my story is way less entertaining. It, it involves V-Lord. God, it, it, he really is the key son. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, basically, it, it, I heard the anime announcement. And, you know, I didn't know anything about the series or anything like that. And it, it was getting an anime. I was like, okay, if it lasted this long, it has to be good, right? So I'm sharing V-Lord's Bookwalker, and he had the first 12 volumes on there. <laughs> So I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll check it out, see what to get ready for at the anime. And I mean, I read the first one, I'm like, eh, okay, I guess. Then I don't know when it was exactly. I want to say around two or three. I was just like, okay, I really was going to see what's going to happen next until I was just like eating it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just by the time, I, I think I started like right after work. So it was probably like four or five. By the time, like, 10 o'clock or so rolled around. Yeah, I'd finished like eight volumes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a fan of this. I, I'm, I'm just totally into this. And yeah, and now I'm watching the anime. Actually, an episode is out now, so I'll probably be watching that later. And yeah, that's my Tokyo Revengers story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess, Lum, do you want to go next? I mean, I just started reading it for this podcast. Now, it is worth noting that one of the reasons we're doing Tokyo Revengers on the show is thanks to a Patreon request. And reminder that on our Patreon, we have a $25 tier in which if you pledge at that tier for a couple of months, you have the ability to request us to cover a series on the show. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. That's our little plug there. <laughs> But I'm very glad that we got recommended the series to cover because I've been hearing about it for a very, very long time. Like there has been a lot of buzz, a lot of praise going around. I've seen Zach call it like his favorite manga of 2019. Uh, I've seen so many praises from, you know, Sakaki V-Lord, uh, just folks I follow on Twitter or Mutuals. And of course, I also was aware of the Discord around the series about the use of the manji, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, like I had seen just a lot of buzz and conversation about it. So I was super curious. So all I really knew about the series in terms of the premise was just that it involved, you know, delinquent gangs and a time travel aspect. And it certainly does do that. It, it really excels in a story using those elements. Now, I will admit that uh, I am probably going to be the odd person out here because I ended up being the least uh, enthusiastic or positive about this series um, as far as everyone on the show. I do have my criticisms that I'll bring up in our conversation proper. I will say in terms of first impressions, uh, things that I was having trouble with is like, I think Takamichi had a left a bad first impression because the idea of his character is that, you know, because he has run away from confronting his problems in life, like he lives a pretty unhappy, unfulfilled life in the present. But the way that is being uh, shown to us early on is kind of just him 
being kind of a mediocre and not very good person like he's getting complaints from his neighbors that his tv is too loud and then his boss chastises him for once again failing to stock something uh correctly and then he kind of just unworthy like scratches up some random person's car with a coin and i was that part was super confusing because like wait was does this guy do anything to him like is there did he just scratch up a random car and so that left me confused to like Okay, so what am I supposed to gleam about the character as he is, as like as he is? Like, is he just unhappy with his life? But is the reason that he's unhappy is that he's genuinely not a very put together person? Like he, because like repeatedly he's causing these problems for the people around him. But he's, but like the series is framing it like, oh, they're being unreasonable towards him. Uh, but then the series does improve on that aspect, and I find Takamichi a very compelling character, you know, once, like, you know, it ultimately it does engage with this idea of, like, him needing to confront the things he's afraid of, particularly. And there, that comes to a great point in the Mobius arc, where he's, like, confronting the big bully that kind of scarred him and led him to run away from everything, all his friends, all his connections, uh, in the first place. And so, I think, ultimately, Takamichi is a compelling char- character, but, like, the first impression I had of him wasn't great. It made me kind of wary that this was going to be more of a power fantasy of like beating up on people or getting revenge on people that make your life miserable, but kind of in an unjustified way of like, oh, people are not treating you with the respect you deserve, but have you done something to earn that respect from people? And that was what I was worried about. But like, I think Takamichi more than earns the respect of other people in the series through his actions. So I'm glad that was the case. Uh, but I guess the other distance I felt from the series early on was just like what it was going to say about delinquency, about gangs, like what ultimate is message on using power and confronting your issues and how you deal with those issues was. And in the first couple of lines of the series, I wasn't getting a clear sense of like, what it was trying to say in terms of that and really it was until the black dragons arc where i was like okay now everything is coming together in terms of okay this is why this gang exists uh this is the reason that they exist as a, and it's really about this community of kids who have been isolated and alienated and left behind in life all coming together to have each other's backs and help each other through its problems. And then I was like, okay, cool. I understand like the thematic core of the series and I am super uh, invested and involved in that now. But uh, yeah, that's basically my impressions of the early series. And I, I, you know, I'll expand on more of them as we go forward, but yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I I think you put it very beautifully. I wish I had that many thoughts on the beginning because um, I mean, I didn't really know anything about Tokyo Revengers until, um, Actually, funny enough, I looked back in our podcast feed because uh, we did talk about the series when it first got licensed by Kodansha USA. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember that being kind of a point of contention when we kind of read through, like, the basic plot synopsis for the series and us kind of being wary of, like, you know, Takamichi being like the, oh, man, he's he's upset because, like, he can't do anything right in life or whatever. And and he's like a virgin or whatever. And, yeah. you know, so, so, some of that stuff, you know, when we go over licenses, especially for, like, isekai stuff, like, some of those are red flags for us because we're just... We're just not into those kinds of characters. Yeah, it's it's super treacly uh, territory. 
like it's and it was on my mind especially because I'd seen like the Bob Odenkirk's film Nobody recently, and that has like gotten a lot of praise and attention. But when I watched it, I was just reading it. Oh, this is like a just a a power fantasy of like a middle aged man who's just unhappy with his life and just wants to enact this fantasy of getting revenge on all these groups that he feels has put him down by violently beating them up and murdering them. So those kind of power fantasies made me wary of like where Tokyo Revengers was going to go when I first started reading, especially with the first impression I got of Takamichi. I will say as somebody who loves Bob Odenkirk and really enjoyed that movie, I totally agree with you that that was kind of the one thing I couldn't really, like, put out of my mind with that movie in particular. Out of an otherwise, like, decent action movie, I think, but this is is not a Bob Odenkirk podcast. Um, (laughs) No, if only. It could be. It could be. It could be. I love Bob Odenkirk, but yeah. I mean, if you get me started on Better Call Saul, who, boy. um, (laughs) We could. Or Mr. Show. Colton, meet me offline. (laughs) (laughs) If by the end of the year, Sakaki and I come out with Better Call Saul, the podcast, you'll know why. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, man. I we wish. already got our hands full with Dragon Ball. Um, <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, just kind of going from there, it, like, I, like I was saying, when we covered the initial license on the show back in 2018, I was kind of wary of it, too, because of how Takemichi starts out. And even when I read the first volume of this, like... I wasn't, like, super into it at first, because I feel like the first volume is a lot of setup, and it's kind of like, oh, we gotta, we gotta like, set up the story and everything, and uh, it, it's not that I don't think it's, like, interesting or whatever, but it's like, okay, we gotta get through all the setup before we get to, like, the actual interesting stuff. That's how I viewed it anyway. And I think it was around, I mean, volume two is, I think, where it picks up, and when we get to our, like, our first, like, conflict and everything, and uh, we get to that where Mikey and Kenshin go to the hospital to uh, see see the girl that un- gets... Oh, boy. So, yeah, yeah that brings me to uh, a big problem I have with the series that maybe I should just get into here, is that yeah, the series yeah. is not very good at writing its female characters in general, but even worse, it has a big problem of fridging its female characters and using violence perpetuated against them to motivate its primarily male cast. And worse, it's like, indulging in this type of gratuitous violence which isn't like really focusing on how the character experiencing that violence feels but like how it affects you know the people around it like the men in their lives and then that scene that moment was particularly infuriating to me because like this character like ostensibly like the only purpose of you know, the point of, like, inciting the fight with Mobius, like, the the backstory of, like, Pa's friend got, you know, beat up by Mobius and his girlfriend got, you know, raped and beat up and all sorts of things. Like, the, the story is meant to just sell, like, oh, Mobius is a bad gang and, is you know, this is why they gotta fight him. But, like, they did not need to involve having a woman get raped and violently beat up in that story like this the entire context that you needed for that story to work could just have easily been satisfied as like oh pa's friend got beat up but you know to be honest i think that it could have been a stronger connection than just like pa's nameless friend and pa at that point we just got introduced to so it's like super 
tenuous to me like so i didn't like super feel like moved by that but like you know the worst part would like with that scene with you know with pa's friend's girlfriend like, the fact that she doesn't have a name fact that the like obviously she doesn't even have a voice in the story like it's she's just her damaged bruised uh violated bodies basically used as kind of something to evoke sympathy in you as a reader and in order to just highlight the scene of oh we can't get uh the civilians involved and whatever it's just very tastelessly done i thought just to use violent imagery of like women being brutalized just to like play on your emotions and also to motivate male characters in action i kind of agree with that actually now that i'm thinking about because there's a part of the uh, black dragons arc where there's a character who uh kisaki kind of manipulates into like stabbing someone else basically utilizing their trauma which i thought at the time when i was reading it i'm glad you brought that up because it made me think about it a bit more at the time i was like well maybe he's helping her to realize the trauma I mean, he's obviously doing it for his own gain or for his own gain rather um yeah now that you've said that that actually puts it in a little bit of perspective so i can definitely agree with you there yeah i mean yuzoha i would say is the best written female character i think she has her a genuine arc to her she isn't free of the problems facing other female characters in the series because yes like the violence uh, inflicted upon her is used to motivate Hakai and the other characters in the action against a uh, Taiju. But like she has her own agency and is proactive in her own story and in that situation. And she does get resolution to her own arc and her own growth. And I really enjoy the moment where Mitsuya compliments her and says he has major respect for what she has done and her efforts to go and and protect uh, Hakai, you know, as one older sibling who has looked out for his younger siblings to another. I thought that was a great moment. I thought Yuzuha is probably the one female character in the series who I think has a satisfying arc, even if, like, a lot of the context of her arc is still mired in a lot of the baggage facing the other female characters in the series in terms of them, their violence committed against them being used to basically uh, motivate other characters. To be honest, like, that also brings me to a moment that I feel like you guys probably really like, but I was not uh, not invested in because of this context. And that is, well, this is a spoilery thing. I don't. I mean, I guess we already kind of went into that spoilery thing with Yuzuha and uh, some of this other stuff. But does it involve a really big twist? Uh, yeah, it does. And the reason that I did not care for. What happened to that character is because not only was she an underdeveloped character uh, in terms of like, we don't have a ton of insight into her own interior motivations outside of, oh, she really li- loves this one character. Oh, and she's the sister of this other character and she cares about him and that we got that context only though just a little bit recently up until that point with a flashback doctor and then just like one chapter before them talking about how much she cares about him but then it's like yeah we don't have much she isn't a much developed character outside of her use in order to provide uh, exposition and characterize and expound on the characterization of other char- characters the male lead characters and then she gets killed off to again <laughs> motivate uh, the other characters into action I will say that when I read that scene, I, I very rarely like say anything out loud when I'm reading a book or a manga or anything. I literally was like, are you kidding? Come on. Yeah. I was like, really? Really? You're fridging yet another character? You're fridging one of your three recurring female characters? It did hit me a bit hard because just before that, there was a bit of like backflash or uh, flashback rather um, 
of them like eating dinner and stuff together. And then immediately right after, it's like, crap, now she's on the ground. And I'm like, come on. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that, that was like... I I like what it represented, but not how it was executed. Like, I, I like the that... I mean, since we're doing spoilers now, <laughs> I like that... The aha moment that Takamichi had that like wait 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 I keep I keep getting I keep getting screwed over by this but what's the one and then he realizes the one element that's missing the whole time is oh shit yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. that I loved I loved that moment but yeah the execution comes like come on really <laughs> she isn't really <laughs> she hasn't gotten to live and she's gone now yeah no, <laughs> no man, yeah so, sorry I, I don't want I don't want to completely derail the conversation because this is good and I want to hear more of this but let's. Let's table that for a little later because I I want to go back a little bit to uh, that moment I brought up earlier with Pa's friends girlfriend. I do admit, yeah, that, that that felt like a really tenuous relationship. Like I don't know why I'm supposed to care about this, but I do like that moment where they're at the hospital because obviously the, I think that's the moment I started realizing like okay, this series is good. Like I'm really enjoying this. Is when uh, Ryuguji makes Mikey bow down. And tells him, like, hey, like, you know, you should really care about other people. And, like, he's – at first you're you're meant to see that, like, he's kind of the empathy, you know, for Mikey. He's his moral compass. Yeah, I do find that very good. I did find that moment uh, very good. But, yeah, like, just the context around it. No, yeah, I totally agree because, yeah, honestly, like, you could have executed this without, like, going that far, I think. Even though – you know, obviously, unfortunately, in the real world, that is the thing that happens. But like, you don't, you don't necessarily yeah, have to like. Yeah, but in that story, yeah. if you want to, if you're going to include that, you should like actually engage with that and focus on the character that's being that's happening to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, I from from there, I I was pretty into the series, and like, man, I I was telling everybody off mic, like, uh, th- this series is really special to me in that, like. You know, as listeners may know, um, sometimes my reading comprehension and especially my speed isn't well, it's mostly my reading speed, I should say, isn't very good. Like when we're uh, planning to like cover longer series on the podcast that we decide we want to read through all of, if it's anywhere between like 20 to 30 volumes or more, I got to start that shit ahead of time because I'm I'm bad at time management sometimes uh, amongst like everything else we're doing or whatever. But, like, honestly, I could have probably read all 20 volumes of this, like, in about a week and a half or so. Like, there there were points where I got kind of, like, when I got, like, halfway through or so, that's when I kind of, like, really started reading more and more. Like, I was reading, like, two or three volumes of sitting sometimes, and that's not, that's not something I normally do. And, I mean, I think that goes to show, like, how readable this series is, like... There are very few series that like are as readable as this. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I I to a point credit Tokyo Revenge. I'm sure you guys all go through this when you're reading manga. You ever go through just periods of where you're just burnt out on manga entirely? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I go through at least once or twice a year, just not for very long, like a month or two at a time. But like, I actually credit Tokyo Revengers with getting me kind of back on the horse with reading manga regularly because I was looking for a series just to get. I've been like waxing and waning between just different like what volume ones of series and like ah, i'm not really feeling this i'm not gonna read the rest of it and then i found Tokyo revengers and read through i think it was like the first four volumes or so i'm trying to remember it was it was like just when the first like major fight started breaking out and i just i loved it and it was just i was like i need more of this 
Wow, you guys are, I, I mean, I guess because my quote-unquote job <laughs> is to read manga every week, I, I can't, whether I'm burnt out on it or not, I, I, the show must go on. But I will say, as much as I hate to admit this and V-Lord, like, makes fun of me constantly, like, now this has gotten me out of my, like, shogaku Because <laughs> now I'm reading way more Kodansha stuff because of, like, Tokyo Revengers, To Your Eternity, uh... I forget there's another series I'm reading. Oh, um, Mashiro no Oto. Yeah, I've been reading all of these, like, because, like, Tokyo Revengers, and now I've been kind of, like, shifting over to Kodansha. So, at some point, I'm going to have to just hand in my Shogakukan card and walk away, sadly. <laughs> but, but yeah, this series is definitely, uh, to concur with what Colton was saying, like, it's super readable. Like, it might, I mean, problems and everything aside, Wakumi is, like, the master of just the best pacing none of the arcs feel like oh it, none of these arcs feel dragged out no, or not like oh yeah. man like oh man i wish they'd just get to the point of this or everything and while yeah i agree with a lot of what lum is saying i would say the male characters most of them are pretty well developed no, yeah. I, I have a difficult time i have a difficult time remembering characters names like but for the most part, Tokyo Revengers, most of them feel like really like uh, well developed in the way that I'm like, okay, I know that guy's name, I know this guy's name, and yeah, like, and I will say Wakuri is really good at those. He's things. also really good at just kind of balancing the mood, like different moods of the series. Like, it'll be like a completely serious scene, like where um, I think it's uh, Tachibana Hanukkah or Tachibana and Takamichi are like watching fireworks and they're having like a conversation about their relationship or whatnot. And then uh, Naoto grabs his hand. He's like, what? No, no, no. And then he goes back to the future. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty good. Yeah. Like, I think he is very great at characterization and crafting these super well-developed characters. uh, And as well as, yeah, his character designs, like his art is incredible. Like his characters are all super distinctive. Uh, Their expressions are really fantastic and say so much about their personalities and especially like Takamichi's like crying faces in general crying faces like they just are so evocative and the feelings are just so tangible like Wakui's art is just such a strong point and it definitely uh enhances the characterization of his characters too even though they're all very already pretty well defined most of the main cast Mm-hmm. I think um, in terms of the art, I mean, the, the, I think the art is like so good all throughout or whatever. There was never a point where I think it like looks bad or it looks unfinished or anything. It's so good and consistent like all the way through. But um, I think Wakui is also really good, at, like really big two page spreads or whatever, really accentuating mm-hmm. like yes. uh, really accentuating particular moments, especially like, like when characters are saying something like profound or cool or whatever. And um I'm going to do my best to walk around this a little bit, but I guess like a very, very small spoiler. There is a point later on in the series where Takemichi goes back to the future and ends up meeting future Mikey. And I won't give away any like specific context, but um, specifically around that point when they're having kind of a confrontation, I really like the bit where like, you know, they're they're kind of at each other's throats or whatever. And, like, that moment specifically where they're just kind of, like, looking at each other and they're both, like, crying. Like, I, I love a lot of those POV shots. They're so amazing. Even the covers. Like, the covers before each chapter where it's just... There's one in the uh, the Black Dragon's arc where it's Takamichi's in the church. And all the stained glasses just, like, form in the shape of all the characters. Oh, it's so cool. oh man. 
That was one thing I was really kind of disappointed with. And I mean, I obviously I know that these kinds of things have like, I think, specific licenses to them. I could be wrong about that. That's just what I've heard. But like, I really wish we could have seen these pages in color because. Oh, I know. Like th- there were so many times where it's like because this series has a lot of color pages all throughout its run, which is pretty cool. I'm assuming that means either Kodansha was really pushing for this or it was really popular while it's running, obviously. <sighs> Again, I, I wish we could have gotten these in color because uh, I, I, they just they look so like I, I can I can tell even when they're like grayscaled or in black and white that like, oh, these probably looked really amazing. Yeah, I mean, especially considering, you know. His color sense on the covers is really good. Like, again, the color scheming of the characters on the covers, like, these are super good designs. Especially the ornate kind of costumes, like, some of the characters have are really super well detailed. I love Draken's, like, sweaters or ponchos or whatever you would call it. Just, like, all the detail on those, they're so nice. Yeah, the, the, these characters, um, I'm gonna say, like, uh, all the, like, character-specific covers that we have at least over in, like, uh, the U.S. edition, these characters got drip, I'm just gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They got some good fashion sense, absolutely. So great. Fashion Revengers, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've seen, like, reading some of the TLC comments that uh, Wakui has, has said is just, like, yeah, he's super fashionable. I remember... Like, one of them was obviously with, um, you know, the COVID and the quarantine. One of his TLC comments was lamenting that I have all these awesome shirts and I can't wear them out. <laughs> so it, it does seem like he's pretty in tune. And a lot of, I remember there was another one where he was talking about, like, fashion design and all of that. So he seems to be pretty in tune with that. And it shows in his artwork. Except for that one outfit that uh, Takamichi wears after the one battle where he's, like, everyone's, like, knowing it. they know his name now. And he's got, like, kind of... um a little bit more confidence and he's walking through and he's like cock of the walk kind of guy and it's <laughs> just like take that off man he looks like yeah. Idiot. <laughs> yeah like dragon calls him after looking and acting like a tool it's really great <laughs> but yeah i guess just talking in general here uh i don't know if you guys want to talk about like any of your favorite characters i mean let's start with zach because zach uh you are a uh chief Uyu stan as it seems yes absolutely and I stand right by you. I really like Chifuyu a lot. Yeah, he's the, the <laughs> best character. He comes in at the right time, and he, uh, it, it's a bit of a spoiler, but he, I don't know if I should say it, I'll say it. Um, he's one of the few people who know about Takamichi's time leaping, which I think is, it was a really cool addition, because at that point, you're like, I think somebody's probably got to find, Elsa's got to find out, because there's got to be a point where other people are going to find out, too. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. He doesn't tell. Um, but it was just really cool because now he has another person to rely on and he's not carrying all the weight of um, having to go back and forth in the future and try and like, save everybody's life on his own. He has someone else he can kind of plan things out with. I love that they both have one brain cell, too. <laughs> <laughs> Together they make one. They, they make two brain cells. 1.5 at best. Shifuyu is a great compliment to Takamichi because he can both ground Takamichi from doing something too much like uh, in an emotional level that would just get him hurt, but also like he will encourage and support him and have his back in moments where like he knows that Takamichi's got to do what he got to do and he believes in him. So I really like him as a partner for Takamichi a lot. Like, they complement each other so well, and they have a very compelling friendship. I think one of the most compelling uh, in the manga, for sure. He also just has the best haircut of all those. Yeah. All those yes. Tomen gang. Yes. Oh, except the two, like, they got, like, the pink and blue afro, like those twins. 
those guys are kind of cool. oh yeah angry and smiley yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, I guess one thing and this is just totally a personal thing i know sakaki was saying he had a pretty easy time like remembering like who the characters were i actually i had a weirdly like hard time remembering i i think it's just my thing with names i for i kept forgetting names of people um and again that's just totally a personal thing uh nothing against the manga itself um chifuyu had the two sisters right or am i thinking of somebody else no that's mitsuya okay 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 yeah no, I got the I got them mixed up as well. I was like, no, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I, I'm I'm a sucker for older brother characters, so it's just like, oh, he's just he's just trying to take care of his two sisters, you know, like, and I, I think that also kind of led into, um, I guess I I know I said I wanted to talk about favorite characters, but now I want to talk about favorite arcs. We're going all over the place here, but I I, I do I do just want to put out there that I th- I think my favorite arc of this series so far is the arc where they fight against Taiju like easily. Yeah, the Black Dragon yeah, is also yeah. kind of unquestionably hands down my favorite arc, too. Like, that is where, like, so much of the theme of the series finally became clear to me. And also, in general, like, Taiju is a very good antagonist. And oh, the yeah. story is yes, a great story yes. of just, like, friends helping another friend out of an abusive family situation. And the characters involved in that were very compelling, Hakai and Yuzaha. And yeah, I, I think, yeah, Mitsuya also to talk into that great contrast to Taiju as an older sibling who, you know, is protected of his younger siblings and shows that dotingly, whereas Taiju shows that destructively through abuse. And yeah, I, there was just great moments of like, again, uh, Takemichi like this. Even though he knows he's not going to be able to beat this guy down and just refusing to back down. And then just seeing, like, Taiju take a knee. Like, even though it's not really because of anything he did, it's kind of the wound user inflicted and catching up to him. But just symbolically that moment showing, hey, this guy who we're so afraid of, who we think it's domital, he's not unbeatable. Like, he is an obstacle we can overcome. Like, he's not something we have to live afraid of and that we can't ever escape from. Like, I think that's just a super good point in moment. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, like, just in general, that arc really solidified the theme of the series being about people who, you know, are going through problems and would feel alone in those problems, uniting together to overcome these obstacles in front of them, like, collectively and having each other's backs. Like, I think that's just, it was probably the best encapsulation of that theme uh, a message of the series so far. So I think, unquestionably, for me, it's like my favorite arc, and I think like the best arc like from beginning to end. It's not my favorite arc, but I love that arc because you get to see kind of Takamichi outside of the context of having to rely on Draken and Mikey for pretty much every fight. It was nice to see him kind of go at it on his own and kind of sort everything out and just kind of prove that he could be part of Because I think it, was, it wasn't until after that he became a part of Toman, right? No, he became a part of Toman after the Mobius arc. Was it Mobius? Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm misremembering. Yeah. yeah, but it's, it's, I think Valhalla overall is my favorite arc. I just absolutely love that fight and all of the kind of backstory of how like Toman came to be and all the emotional kind of beats that came with that were just I think hit all of the right spots for me. No, that that one was good too. There's a lot I liked about, it, but I admit I did not care for Kazutora, and I think that his arc was kind of all over the place and the message of it was unclear because like they were because the connection that me made is that Kazutor is a character who is like afraid of being abandoned and left alone again because you know his parents went through a divorce when he was a kid and he you know felt like they were abandoning him that's like the implication we're supposed to get from those flashback scenes which I feel could have been more fleshed out stronger yeah I felt like that wasn't very clear honestly 
but like the whole idea is that oh, because he's so afraid of being abandoned, like he has this complex of like okay, I am going to punish the person who's going to put me in this situation that's you know going to leave me uh, left alone again. It's just a very kind of weird line of thinking to make him go from oh because of this thing that i did i'm worried that i'm going to be abandoned by my friends by mikey so i gotta kill mikey first so i don't because he's the one who is at fault for me doing this thing that's going to get me abandoned because i did for it's just such weird circular logic i think part of it is just being a kid and having flawed logic like that because you look at that and you go oh well i mean i know i did this wrong but it's your fault i'm going to like juvie and stuff like that um, I, I mean, it's but a, also I think it, it kind of was re- there was a bit of a redemption part because after spoiler um, passes away and succumbs to his injuries, uh, he does he says I'll stay by and I'll take responsibility for it and he does kind of come through because part of the whole thing about him is he's like he's got his goals but he doesn't take responsibility he's just doing whatever he has to do to kind of get by. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Like, I think the message of hey, like forgiveness and redeeming this kid who made a mistake is good. It's just that. In the context of the narrative, like, Kazuchora, like, mostly just came across as kind of a sociopath. Because, for one thing, like, the situation he got himself that kind of led to all this is, like, his oldest fault. Because he was, like, going to steal a bike to get to Mikey. And then he somehow didn't know that that was Mikey's brother's shop. And then, like, he didn't have to, like, lethally hit Mikey's brother to get out of that situation. So it's like... In terms of the sequence of events, it's just, like, it's kind of hard. It was kind of hard for me to, like, really, like, sympathize with the character. Especially because the background of him, of his, like, past with his parents wasn't, like, as clearly defined as it could have been. To yeah, for sure. identify, okay, like, why did he feel like he was being abandoned by the divorce? Like, what what is the... His relationship with his finance was not stretched out enough to understand that, understand, like, why you would have such, like, a violent, fearful reaction to being abandoned again. I think you just gotta, you gotta chalk it up to um, kids' emotions amplifying pretty much every, uh, everything that takes you out of your comfort zone as a kid is something being uh, inherently traumatic. Yeah, but then the line of thinking of, like, going to murder is a, it's just a little extreme that I don't think most kids are gonna go to. It's just, That's it, true. It's just uh, I would a disconnect, <laughs> I felt. I think both of these viewpoints are valid. I agree with both, but I will say for the Valhalla arc, not that I thought it was a bad arc per se, but I mean, aside from Kazutora's sort of backstory not being totally clear to me, I kind of picked up on it, but I felt like we could have gotten more that and like, again, this is probably just a, a personal thing as well. I had a really hard time trying to keep up with like who was double crossing who and who was on what side, because I feel like that. I felt like that changed a lot or whatever. And I don't know, maybe that's just, maybe that's just the storytelling and I just can't keep up with it and I'm a dumb idiot or whatever. But I I had a lot of trouble keeping up with certain things in that arc, like, you know, who was on whose side and like who, whose motivations are, are what. And I don't know. I thought that was a little confusing, but otherwise I, I still thought that was a, I still, I still enjoyed the arc. I think just the visualizations of them fighting on a stack of, like, abandoned junk cars was just awesome. No, that was a cool set piece, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a super good visual. Like, especially with this symbolism of King of the Mountain, in terms of, like, that idea of, like, climbing up to get to the opponent you want to beat down. Like, that was really well done. I think that, you know, in terms of the action beats, that was super strong. 
I liked uh, a lot of Abaji's role in it. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, Chifuyu and Takamichi's role in that arc. I, there's a lot of good moments in there. It's just that I thought the, a lot of the stuff that caused Tora was kind of wonky. And that also did, unfortunately, hurt the sacrifice in that arc, too. Because when I trace back the sequence of events, I'm like, wow, this is tragic in a way that I don't think the, the series intends me to interpret it as. It's like tragic and, oh, this is kind of... It pointless. It didn't need to happen this way, but uh, unfortunately, it it, it I, did. I kind but of agree. Yeah. I, I I like the sentiment of that sacrifice and what it was trying to accomplish, though. Mm-hmm. But I I do want to go back to the the sort of the Taichu arc a little bit because uh, and I I won't like go into details or whatever, but like that that arc really hit me personally because you know I've I'm just gonna say I've I've been in that situation where you know I I've lived with abusive family members for a bit. Kind of before I like moved into my apartment, I, I dealt with a lot of, you know, a, a lot of really sh- uh, shitty family stuff that like, you know, if it weren't for my closest friends who I'm now roommates with, you know, I don't know how I would have gotten through it. Like, and so the, those moments where Takemichi, you know, is uh, fighting for uh, Hakai and he tells him like, oh, well, you know, being beaten up, like, isn't like the most painful thing. It's it's loneliness, you know, Hakai trying to assumedly try to take on everything by himself at least that's what we're led to believe anyway. Um, uh, which we'll, we'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more because I, I have thoughts on that a little bit. But in general, those moments really touched me in particular. And especially when Mitsuya tells Hakai that like, hey, you know, dude, look, like we're all weak. We all have something that we're trying to like run away from. But that's why we have friends. And that's why we stick with each other like that. That stuff really got to like touched me like really personally. Yeah. So yeah, that really affected me. <laughs> Absolutely. As someone who's been in a similar situation, particularly in a situation of protecting a sibling from an abusive uh, family member, like, yeah, like, that's another reason why I found that arc super compelling and a good uh, illustration of that kind of conflict. It's just, it's so, it's so good. And it's, I feel like it's the first, well, maybe not the first time, because, you know, Takamichi kind of earlier on during, like, uh, the Bloody Halloween events or whatever, you know, c- kind of gets his revenge against the guy who originally made him like his gopher or his slave or whatever. And, and that was a and that was a cool moment. But I feel like his fight against Taiju is like the first time that we see him like really, really actually like get the fight back. That fight was pretty good. And I, I what I really like about Takemichi's fights just in general is that like, you know, he's obviously not like the strongest person and, you know, him when you stand him up against like the total monsters that are Mikey and Ryugaji, it's like, well, what the hell can this guy do or whatever? You know, so so it was kind of it was really interesting to see Takemichi fight because it's like he's clearly not as strong as everybody else. But and I also choked about this on Twitter. Takemichi's magic is is never giving up just like Asta. It didn't surprise me when he stood up to uh, to Taiju because I mean he did take a knife through the hand so just, yeah yeah you know, a, a, a run of the mill fist fight is is nothing at that point I would imagine no yeah I, I totally agree yeah no but I do really appreciate that the series values that quality of Takamichi is that he won't run away from a problem in his way anymore like he won't back down and give up on what he believes in, what he's fighting for. And that's the value that draws people to him and inspires the people around him. And I think that's a good message, that what defines strength is not just your physical power, your ability to beat people down. It is the strength of will not to back down 
from fighting for what you believe in. I think that's such a great message. And uh, again, I think the Black Dragons arc really did a lot in cementing that message and making me appreciate, yeah, the series has a really good philosophy in mind. uh, It's funny you bring that up since that's what Draken says like really early in the series, like when Takemichi, like when he and Mikey show up at the school and like Hina's like, slaps mikey because um they're trying to take takemichi away and one thing he does say is like hey you can find people who can fight anywhere but somebody who's willing to stand up for what somebody who says they won't back down you know that's what we that's what's really important so even that early in the series this is something that wakui is like trying to establish sorry i was just gonna say um there's a lot of really good commentary around takemichi's character in relation to like toxic masculinity as well because Mm -hmm. oh yeah a lot of people would take masculinity um, or masculinity, sorry, as, uh, like, if you're in a fight, the last thing you want to do is cry. You gotta, like, just fight and just be a man and stuff. But through every fight, even if he's crying and he's just, like, holding on, or if he's just getting the, the snot beat out of him, he's crying and it's just, he's showing that you can be tough and show your emotions, and I think that's just a really important message. And the fact that that continues to be, like, a really big part of Takamichi's character throughout is really awesome. Yeah. The fact that Takamichi is open about his emotions, just in general, is a good critique of Takamichi, especially in the series we see so many characters, like, hiding things from other characters and, like, not being truthful about how they really feel. Like, with Taiju, there's a comment by Yuzuha that, oh, you've never really talked about... Or, or grieved over like our mother's death like you've been bottling up all these emotions and that has been in part of what's twisted you and yeah i think that's a good message is like being open about your emotions not being afraid to speak your mind and tell people how you feel about them is super important i think like that's how he's basically able to diffuse the tension early on between mikey and Draken is that he just calls out to them hey like don't just be at each other's throats like this like don't just be antagonistic to each other like talk things out and think about like how your souring relationship affects everyone around you yeah it affects everybody everybody around you yeah that's one one of the like i think that's the moment where like takamichi's character really spoke to me is the fact that yeah he did go out like and you know these two guys that he's like afraid of and he, he just tells them, you know, your fighting affects everybody under you. So don't just take this so lightly as, oh, it's a real small, you know, brief spat or anything like that. You you guys are the leaders. You have people watching you. And, and I just like that, like, moment where he's out. Like, even though, like, in the end, it's, like, sort of ruined with him having... That was the one where he, like, ended up having, like, crap on his head, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, just... I, I mean, and that goes back to what, what was said earlier about just Wakui being able to balance the mood and everything like that. And then there, and it's funny, like, although his words get to them, I do like the fact that it's, like, the fact that they, they're just both laughing at him, that's really what gets them to kind of cool down and, like, you know, calmer heads prevail. But, yeah. I, I mean, everybody's talking about the Taiju arc, and that's my favorite, too, honestly. <laughs> Mostly just because... I think, as uh, Lum said, he's just such a compelling villain. I I know probably he's supposed to be this hate sink, but I don't know. Just the way that arc was resolved with him just... He technically wasn't physically beaten, but, like... He was emotionally crushed. Yeah, he was... uh, He's outside the church just with his head bowed, and everybody's walking by him and kind of, like, offering him sort of, like... Not really pity, but they're just kind of like, you know, you... You know, you're you. These are all the reasons why you lost, and 
you know, and him taking that into stride and being like, you know, in his own secondary way, like, I didn't learn anything, but I guess you guys were okay without me. <laughs> and I just, I just like how that the resolution of that arc and everything was done. And of course, the fact that, like, I like it when the protagonist isn't like super overpowered. And obviously in Tokyo Revengers, that's not a thing that's going to happen, but really Takamichi only like hit him once. <clears throat> yeah. And yeah. And, and that one hit had such a resounding effect for the rest of the arc, even if that's all he really did. Like, like I don't mean, I don't want to minimize it like that. He didn't do anything else. I mean, obviously he did a whole lot, but yeah, I, I, I just love that arc for those reasons. It felt like if Tokyo Revengers was just that arc, it would have been fine. I feel like as a story, cause it, it had a good, start rising action and conclusion no yeah for sure and uh again something that i think lum and i both talked about on twitter is that the taiju arc in particular gives off a lot of arlong park vibes uh for one piece in particular it does that and that one moment in the tenjuku arc was like oh this is luffy's speech to arlong about how you know he's not as good as his other friends in all these aspects but he has one thing and that's basically not backing out backing down that's uh his strength. I can't believe I, I didn't, like, think of that first, because you're totally right. Um, Actually, Zach, this is kind of a tangent, but uh, have you read any more on One Piece since uh, you read the first volume? I'm just kind of curious. Uh, I read the next arc, but it has been months since I've touched it, <laughs> admittedly, so... I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read more of it. It's just I want to actually find time to sit down and do it. Okay, I just want to I just want to be sure you were okay. With, uh, I didn't want to bring up anything like super spoiler oh, or no, whatever. Go ahead. By the time I actually get around to it, I will have forgotten. So. <laughs> 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 um, but no, yeah, I I just I could not help but like think about One Piece like throughout most of that arc, especially the part where Hakai literally asked Takemichi for help. It's just literally like yes, when, when Nami asked yes, for help from Luffy. Yes. <laughs> I, that was what I, I mean, my first read, I didn't really think about that, but my second read, I just heard Luffy's voice being like, Atari <laughs> <laughs> Um But I guess just going back to our favorite characters, I mean, uh, were, were there any char- other characters we wanted to highlight here? Or, because uh, I, I, just- I, I think... Sorry, I, I I did that thing where I asked a question, and I'm just going to answer my own question. Um, but um, <laughs> it's so hard, because I generally like every character... Even the ones that, like, you're meant to hate, like, Kisaki, like... Yeah, he's an interesting antagonist. We'll, we'll probably talk about it later when we get into spoilers here in a little bit. But, like, uh, you know, at the time of recording this, we, we've we only read up to, like, Volume 20. And that's kind of the worst... That was, that was literally the worst place for us to stop because we're kind of at a point where we might learn more about Kisaki. And I was... I was really hoping to, like, maybe actually learn something about him and his motivations before we talked about it, but that's just that's just not where we're at right now. Yeah, if we just had one, read one more volume, I think we would have gotten that context. You guys can do a follow-up mini-podcast after Volume 21 comes out. We might have to, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, I don't know if Kisaki's, like, my favorite character or whatever, but I do think he's a good antagonist so far. Yeah, like, I, yeah. He's he's a character I want to know more about. I really want to know like what his motivations are and like what he what he's all about cuz we Takamichi's only kind of like mostly made assumptions about him so far that are probably most likely true but they're just kind of assumptions at this point. But yeah, I mean again, like he's 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 always interesting. I'm just always I always just want to learn more about him cuz we don't really know much about him. But I mean, I think in terms of like my it's so hard 
I'm gonna say Mikey might be my favorite, but I don't know if that's like a really easy choice or not, you know. But he he is a good, compelling character, though. I do like Mikey. I think Akun is a really overlooked character, especially early on. Um, he was yeah, really yeah. quickly one of my favorite, and just like when I was talking about just how quickly Wakui changes the tone of the manga when he meets Akun in the future after um after Akun like actually gets his uh, salon or whatever put together. Yeah, I'll spoil what happens, but oh man, that that hurt. Well, we'll talk about it for sure, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like Takamichi's whole friend group. They're they're just such bros. Yeah, <laughs> like especially like the uh, the gang otaku who just knows everything about every yeah. gang ever. <laughs> I like that he's the one. Like Takamichi describes him as like he thought he put on glasses and be smarter. <laughs> like like he shits on all of his friends when he like when he first time travels and he's like, oh yeah, my whole group, and he like shits on each one of them. <laughs> it, it, it was just such a like character establishing moment like you know he's just in all of them but he's still they're still his best friends and like i i don't i don't remember which arc it was but like he was saying you know he was gonna take it on himself and they're just like god no we're here for you bro they're like and even like in i guess the current arc the most recent arc that the manga's in like or well the releases that we're in like they come in and they just hold back these guys and everything like that like they're like takamichi they know they don't stand a chance but they're his bros so they're, they're there for him and i'm a sucker for yeah. that yeah there's a lot of good moments with them like he really does inspire them by example and i like that they consistently have his back and are the first to have his back often in so many moments in the series yeah, I feel like in another series, they would have been forgotten after the first arc, but Wakui's really good at including them each time. And I remember, like, Akun, I think it was Akun that was just kind of like, we were slaves, but it was thanks to you standing up to that one guy that we're out of this now, so we're behind you for life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, I don't know if you guys will agree with this comparison, but uh, the wh- when I first started reading the series, the like, Takamichi really, not so much, I, I, their characters are probably different, but... uh. I think it was a lot of, like, the, uh, because, first off, uh, Ken Wakui, also really amazing at, like, really goofy character expressions, especially for Takemichi, they always made me laugh. Um, a lot, a lot of the ones he makes in the beginning, though, reminded me of, like, uh, for some reason, I thought of, like, uh, Sakuragi from Slam Dunk. Mm, yeah. I, for, for, for some reason, his faces in the beginning really made me think, like, oh, Sakuragi would make that face a lot, or whatever, <laughs> um, and... I even thought like, oh, he's a delinquent with this other delinquent friend group, just like Sakuragi from Slam Dunk. Um, except like Sakaki said, you know, Takamichi's friends actually like get more to do or whatever. But uh, I guess one other like stray thought I had was, um, I guess, again, more comparisons we compared to Erased earlier. And it's 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 kind of the same story a little bit, or at least has kind of the same conceit where it's like, you know, Takamichi somehow has these abilities to kind of travel back in time from uh from the present i really like the way the time travel works in this series because um one of the many things i i wasn't super hot on with erased in particular was that the main character for erased in particular you know just kind of has these abilities to time travel and you get a sense for like how they work but it's like i mean and i guess you don't really get like an explanation for this series either but it's like I really had a problem with it's like, oh, he just kind of has these and I'm supposed to roll with it. And I guess it's kind of the same thing here, too, except. Yeah, but there's more of a symbolic hook in that he, yeah. to initiate the time travel, he had claps hands with Naoto. And that sort of represents kind of the bond and the trust between them in order to accomplish this thing to change time. 
And the reason that connection forms is because in the past, he did successfully change Naoto's future. And so that's why he believes in him and his ability to change the futures of the people that he's going back in time to interact with, say. No, yeah. Um, I mean, just in general, I the, the, like the time travel to me is really interesting because usually when we're dealing with like a time travel story, it's usually time travel is very rooted in like sci-fi specifically usually. But I, I just found it interesting that this was more like supernatural. I feel I feel like you could classify it as that. Spiritual, I would say kind of also thematically related to again the symbolism of the man- the buddhist symbolism of the manji let's say because buddhism mm, okay. like as you know a religion is about like addressing the suffering one experiences in life and then moving past that suffering or accepting that suffering and so that's also a lot of what the series is is like this series is about these characters who are in a lot of pain and then learn to kind of move past that pain so yeah, I mean, I think again, like this does have the series does have a lot of spiritual uh, and good philosophical type of ideas that I really appreciate. No, yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess are are there any like other general things you guys want to bring up before we kind of like just kind of head into spoiler territory? Most of my notes are spoiler territory, so let's bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> so here, let's do this. So I guess for, for people who don't want to be spoiled and want to like opt out of the podcast early, I think it's safe to assume that we all recommend Tokyo Revengers. I mean, absolutely. Lum, I know you specifically, I know you have like caveats, but I don't know. Yeah, I would, I would, re- I think there's a lot of good stuff in Tokyo Revengers, so I would recommend it, but I do have a lot of caveats and content warnings if you, again, don't like to see uh, female characters uh, repeatedly like victimized in a story. Well, one thing actually I do want to bring up before we head into spoilers. Um, uh, I said off mic, but um, the localization, the lettering, everything about this release from Kodachi USA is so good. Yeah. Oh, I know. I wish I could give proper credit. If you're if you're just by chance listening to this, kudos to you for everything. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way the dialogue is localized. Like you know, everybody feels like they talk like a real person, and especially like a real teenager who likes to swear a lot or whatever, yeah. and is in a gang. And I really love the the lettering in particular for this release because of something I brought up when we talked about Silver Spoon in particular was I I had a problem with the way that the lettering work in that series felt a little cluttered with subtitling the actual sound effects and that like uh, Romanized and then specifically having like uh, the translation like in parentheses or whatever. But I, I really like the way the lettering is done with this release specifically because like, you know, they're subtitled sound effects. Uh, so you have just the translation at the bottom, but they're like stylized the same way as the actual Japanese sound effects, um, which I really enjoyed in particular. Like it felt like it belonged in the comic. It didn't like take me out of it at all at any point. So again, uh, stuff stuff that I really didn't notice the first like when we when we first started the podcast, I never would have thought about lettering. I never really would have given it like a, a a second thought. But like I notice these things now, and like you know when I notice them, like it just kind of makes the experience that much better. No, I found the same thing after starting, like, making YouTube and other manga content. It's just once you get on Twitter and start kind of meeting other people who actually work in the industry, and you get kind of a really, really big appreciation for how much goes into bringing manga out in English. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, in terms of, like, the release from Kodansha USA, I think this is a really high-quality release. And, honestly, I hope... I hope this series gets a print run at some point. I think it's digital only at this point. Yeah. From what I've heard, there are, like, production problems that might cause issues with the print. Um, but I don't know how much, how true that is, but, uh, 
Plus, and there's also the the Manji stuff, which we could talk about later. I think I would, I'd argue it would be kind of weird if uh, a parent picked up a volume of Tokyo Avengers off a shelf in like a Borders or something and then saw the Manji. Yeah, I mean, I, do we want to touch on how we feel about that in particular, actually? That's kind of a more general thing, I think. I think it's a non-issue. Like, if you just understand the difference in the history between a Manji and a Nazi swastika, like, it's very clear, like, the purpose of the manji in the context of the story is how it fits, like, thematically in this story as a Buddhist symbol and then spiritually with, like, the goals of Toman as a group of, like, these people, again, coming together who are, like, all kind of in various situations where they've kind of been dealing with stuff alone, but then coming together to kind of collectively help each other through that and move past that, like... You know, it's a very... The history of the Manji is way uh, deeper and longer than history of the Nazi Swastika. It's just a shame that because of that, that has kind of ruined the reputation of the Manji or, like, kind of twisted, like, what it represents uh, in Buddhist spirituality. But I don't think it is a issue if you, like, understand that. Like, so I under, only... I understand, though, like, why uh, Kananji USA might be hesitant to put this on store shelves because people who are not familiar with that history but only recognize the symbol as a swastika get would get the wrong idea especially because it it does deal with gangs and you know there is a worrying concern of neo-nazi gangs in this day and age so unfortunately and they don't the kodash doesn't really touch base on it too much about like the meaning of the manji like there's just a really small subtitle under the first panel of the first page on volume one where it's like this symbol is the reading for manji in, in japanese or whatever um, I just I, I know it's not Crunchyroll's fault. I know a lot of people are blaming Crunchyroll for censoring the anime, but from what I understand, that's just how it's provided to them. Um, I thought they could have just kept it, and it would have been a really good opportunity to kind of teach the difference. Yeah, yeah. I really wish they could have maybe done like a disclaimer at every episode, maybe yeah. just because it's it's so integral to the series. Or maybe like a part of the show just educating people of what the manji means and what it represents in the context of the story, like a one minute kind of primer on the manji yeah i i think that would have been good because i mean clearly they're aware of the um ramifications of it if they're offering a version without it there <laughs> so like it's not even a thing that we could be like oh well japan's just japan or whatever. i think at the end of the day it's just it's not even a, like a logical thing it's just it, i think just seeing that symbol even if it's not the right symbol just evokes such a strong emotional response to some people yeah exactly it, it's just a it, it's just a better safe than sorry yeah. approach so yeah no, it definitely elicits, like, a very strong reaction. I mean... It's just a shame that's the symbol, because it's so integral to Tokyo Revengers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the anime in general, I've only watched, like, one episode, but, I don't know, it, it just... It, it, it maybe it gets better, but, like, it really just kind of felt to me like, oh, this is just the manga, and it, that just wasn't really that interesting to me, but I don't know. Yeah, it has a rare worksmanship quality. It, it doesn't really... I don't think it's super enhancing of the material, I will say that uh, "Crybaby" slaps. It's a oh, freaking yeah. great opening and song. <laughs> no, so. that's, that's that's a that's a super, like the opening and ending are both super good. I am watching the anime with my girlfriend, and we're outside of the episode that's out this weekend. We're caught up. Yeah, it's kind of a downgrade. My I, only, I hate to like. I love seeing uh, it animated. My only, and this is a pretty major uh, gripe to have with it is the pacing is just god awful. It's like three episodes to actually meet Mikey and Trappin. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I expect that they'll only cover Strew Valhalla, and they'll do 8 and 24, so... Yeah. 
Yeah, and especially considering it is an action-heavy story at many points, like, yeah, the pacing is definitely going to drag. Yeah, and, like, it's not well animated, and, and I hate to be that guy, but, like, yeah, it really isn't. And it, and it sucks, because the, the director, uh, he's done some pretty good things, but it just seems like, I don't know if it's, like, in a rush production or whatever, or if it was kind of like a second thought, because I don't know how popular the manga was before the anime was announced. I mean, obviously now... <laughs> they're probably looking at it a little bit differently now that it's exploded in popularity, but it does feel like, and I hate to put it this way because I don't know, obviously I'm not inside the anime production, but it does feel like this was a thing that was just like, okay, it's selling, it sells all right. We could get an anime and a live action movie out of this or whatever, and we don't have to work that hard on it. And then suddenly I feel like one of the, the anime was a factor of its like popularity, but one other thing was like it being on Ame Talk, which is like a Japanese, uh, talk show variety program. And a lot of manga that have been on there get like super big. Cause like people who probably wouldn't have checked out the manga, who don't read Weekly Shonen Magazine or really get into manga like that probably watch this show. And I mean, there was another Kingdom. Kingdom was the other, sh- the other manga featured on this program that, I mean, Kingdom had already been out there for quite a long time, but it was on Ame Talk for like an episode of Ame Talk, and then it just exploded in popularity. So I do feel like that's a bit of what Tokyo Revengers owes to its popularity boost. And of course, maybe people really just genuinely like the anime too. But it'll be interesting to see if like, I've heard rumors that they're already working on a season two. Um, but and it'll be interesting to see if now with its huge popularity, if they're going to give it more resources. I would hope so. <sighs> okay, but just like I said, probably five minutes ago at this point, now we can get into spoilers. <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled on anything super major in Tokyo Revengers, this is probably your place to leave the podcast. Thanks for listening. And now now we can give away every plot twist and everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's start off with a general question. What do you, I guess, what was the biggest plot twist for you guys? What was the moment that made you made you shout the most i guess uh, the, the, what, what was your biggest like oh fuck moment oh um after uh the one fight when he comes back and uh kisaki drugs him and uh, i think it's um chief yeah oh my god man that scene and then he just shoots him what the hell that was that scene, oh, especially man. since i love in that whole sequence is that clearly obviously chief you has been kind of interacting with kind of the past Takamichi, not Takamichi from like the future who has come back to the past and having his body, but the past Takamichi all this time. But then when, you know, Takamichi kind of regains himself in prison, like he's kind of starting to notice something's different about him. And I love that, you know, as he's trying to give like his dying words to Takamichi, you know, he has recognized at this point that the old Takamichi that he knew in the past is finally back. And so, like, he, uh, that just gives the final words he, he says of, like, leaving everything to him, leaving Baji's will and saying he believes in him, like, all over again. Just, it just gives that just so much more impact. So I really love how that sequence was done. And yeah, it is just such a gut punch to see, like, you know, in the future, Takamichi ha- has this time think that things have changed and, you know, his life is better, like, as a high-ranking executive, the Tokyo Manji gang, but yeah, no, like, Chief Huyu is, like, brutally killed in front of his eyes, and then later he learns that he, in this timeline, he was the one responsible for killing Hina. And, yeah, it's just, har- it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's, that was a good sequence. They really buried the lead on that, too, because it comes back and everything's changed, and he invites the two of them for a drink, and I'm like, okay, maybe the 
maybe this is where they start to get along. And then I'm like, well, no, probably not. He's probably going to drink those drinks. And then he did. No, that 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 was definitely a moment where I was like, I don't, I don't fucking trust this guy. No, this is, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it at all. But the surprise of him crying and calling Takeuchi hero as he's about to shoot him. Now that was such a good hook too. It's like, hmm, what is the relationship between oh. Kisaki and Takemichi? And like, what is going what, on with him? Yeah, what is their connection? So uh, that is definitely an intriguing point. Now, I do feel like it was kind of nebulous, like how Kagatora rescued Takamichi from that situation. Because Takamichi like blacks out and then when he wakes up, he's like besides Kagatora, like on the riverbank. And it's it's kind of of like, okay, what is the connected issue? Like how did Kagatora rescue Takamichi from there? But, you know, it's still a great moment. In general, I think like a lot of the flash forwards, like whenever Takamichi returns to present, see how things are changed. Those end up leading to some very emotionally powerful uh, moments that I appreciate a lot. Like, it's pretty cool generally to see like how things have changed in the years that uh, Takamichi has, you know, changed by going back to the past and changing the order of events. And I'd also like in seeing these features, like how the characters that he's helped save basically are able to repay the favor and tell him just new context about how the world has changed since he's last visited it. Like when he saves Draken and he's able to go back into the future and visit Draken to learn more about like what's going on with the whole uh, Valhalla stuff. And then with Kakatora, like just seeing that he has matured from his situation and is now kind of in a redemptive kind of arc and where he's like helping out Takamichi now. That was great. And the same thing with Taiju, like when Takamichi like goes to the church and then he sees Taiju there and then Taiju tells him about like what went on with uh, with Tomon after like he kind of merged with uh, Tenjuku and stuff like that. So I, I like those moments of seeing like how characters that you know he is kind of interacted with and uh, met and affected in the past like how they have changed in the future and how they help him kind of as tanks even though they may not know it like for what he has done mm-hmm. i think my first like big oh fuck kind of moment was um and i mean it was obviously the first time that like we feel like oh things actually might have changed for the better and uh you know hina's alive and everything and it, it <laughs> like around that point i know it obviously wasn't going to be but like it weirdly felt like oh maybe the series could like actually end around here possibly if it it feels like we're gearing up for an ending and then obviously out of nowhere hina dies in a terrible uh, car crash collision yeah that's rough too because he comes out of the bathroom and he sees hanma and hanma's like oh wait you're not in the car and i was like wait what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) man i admit that was one of the weaker ones because i i knew that something was gonna happen like i just knew okay i was not gonna go this easy but also again fell into the trap of oh uh we're just gonna again kill off hina just to re-motivate takamichi it's like okay sure so actually while we're on that subject i i do want to talk a bit more about the thing we were kind of like trying to dance around earlier because and i i totally understand why you would have reservations about this and i i do totally agree with them but man when they fucking killed off emma that Ugh. fucking ripped my heart. You might as well just stab me in the heart, honestly. Yeah. Like, and I, I totally understand why, like, you know, you'd have problems with it because they are totally fridging a female character. But I still see that moment as very profound. Like, that's that's clearly the moment. Like, uh, you know, everything kind of leading up to this. You know, we were all we were all wondering, like, okay, well, even though Takemichi 
has seemingly changed the future like you know nothing's changing and we're 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 trying to kind of figure out like the big moment that like leads to everything like Mikey going to the dark side and everything and that's it should have been obvious like yeah it's because you know Kisaki inadvertently kills his sister and like that moment is so fucking heartbreaking to me because that is that is, you could tell that is the moment where Mikey's trying to fucking keep it together and he's he's clearly about to lose himself like uh, Mikey is such a tragic character in his own right because of like how many members of his family and his friends just all constantly die like I I don't really blame him for like turning out the way he did like I feel really sorry for him yeah and I kind of like that Mikey like recognizes this too you know there there's no sense of like oh man you know I didn't realize I was like this at all like he's had conversations with Takamichi throughout the series that yeah I'm fighting with this like internal darkness I mean, even straight up says, Takamichi, please be there. If I start to fuck up, like, bring me back over. Could you do that for me? <laughs> and, like, yeah. And, and I like that him and Takamichi have that kind of relationship going on where it's, like, it's when, uh, I think it's, I don't remember what volume, but I think it is, like, at one point where the other gang members are, like, you know, let Takamichi go. We don't want to see him like this. And it's because he's gone that Mikey goes, like, even further down the dark path. But yeah, that the Emma moment, like, as much as I wasn't a fan of it the second time I read it, it's still, I just loved that moment where they all figure out the one thing that's been consistently missing in the future is Emma. Oh my god. And immediately after. <laughs> exactly, god. And then, and then the whole thing, like... I mean, this isn't my spoiler moment. Like, my spoiler moment, God, I almost don't want to talk about it because it's such a big spoiler, but... Well, we're in the section to do it, so... Spoil it. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, as you know, I've been, like, keeping up with it after where the releases end, the U.S. releases end, so I've been reading it in Japanese. So you do get to, to get to one point. They do talk about, like, immediately after this chapter, they get into Kisaki's past. Okay. I won't say anything about that. Okay. I won't. Okay. Like, so you all should just read that. <laughs> but after that, they have this whole arc. Like, after that's all resolved, you know, Takemichi goes back to the future and everybody's alive. And it's not just for two chapters, it's for several. Mm, wow. <laughs> and like, mm, I, I forgot who it is that gets married. Somebody gets married and I forgot who it was. And I'm really, I, f- I feel really bad about that. And then, like, Hina and Takemichi are talking about their own future and everything like that, too, and what they want to do. And, I even think they they begin to start talking about living together, and it, it seems like a really happy future and everything like that. And you think, okay, at this point, okay, the series is over, we're finally done. I already don't trust but it. Then, <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't blame you. I didn't either. And the reason why is Mikey's missing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, <laughs> like uh. the whole time, and and like the one other factor there too is like when um. And Takemichi, you know, he just, he tries to shake Naoto's hand, just, just, you know, hey, will it work? And it doesn't. Because it seems like, you know, he, he completed it. There's nothing else to do. Everybody's okay. Everything's good. So it's like, okay, now I can't try and travel, but that's fine. I got my happy life. But then, like, I, I won't go too much into detail about that. But yeah, the whole time Mikey's missing, it's like, where is he? What, what's going on? And it's a point where, like, yeah, he's still, he's still on the dark side. And just as, like, and he and Takemichi kind of have, like, a, you know, he finally tracks Mikey down, and they have, like, a confrontation, and having, uh, remembering everything that happened is difficult, because I haven't read it in a little bit, but 
I, I just remember that they are like they're fall they they have a fight and they're like falling out of a side building and finally you have the all on park moment with Mikey where he finally asks Takemichi to help him and then Takemichi takes his hand and then he's te- he's taken back to the past again. Oh, this is gonna fucking kill me when I eventually read <laughs> so, so I mean I'm being partially I'm forgetting some things but I'm partially also being kind of vague on purpose because you really just need to read it. No, I, I appreciate that. But yeah, like he takes Mikey's hand and then I think he's even taken back a little further in the past than he has been before. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So like that and are have to go even back farther to save Mikey, it seems. Yeah, and now Mikey's actually asking for help. Because up until now, it's always just been Takemichi's, you know, driving force has been, you know, to keep him alive. Then it, it kind of expands as he meets more people and has an empathy where it's like, you know, he meets Toman and he, he meets everybody there. And he's like, no, these guys aren't bad guys. It can't be them. And, you know, but it never, Mikey's asked him to kind of, hey, keep me off the dark path and everything like that. But that's the first time where he's like, Takemichi, I need your help. Please stop me. And then, yeah. I I know there's been like two more chapters that have been released since then. But I don't know what's happened in them. From what I've heard on like the Japanese side of people giving spoilers, it seems like there was another flashback of another character. Okay. Mm. And then this week we'll be back to what Takemichi's up to. Because he like, he wakes up in his like, and up until now, we've never seen his parents either, but he wakes up in like his room and you hear his like mom talking to him to get out of bed and go to school. So that's another thing that's interesting too. Oh man. Um, just to kind of go back to the MMO, but real quickly, uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, I did so good because uh, I'm a big crybaby. I cry at manga all the time, but <laughs> I did so good up until that moment where Mikey's carrying Emma and he's oh, just like, oh, like, oh man, no, we, but we have to, I, I imagine us like all hanging out together, like as adults and being goofy or whatever. And that, that spread of them all hanging out together, like hypothetically in like the perfect world, mm-hmm. that made me cry. That was like the first time I legitimately cried because every everything before then, like I still like got in a got like a reaction out of me. Like you know, a, a lot of the big moments ca- kind of a ooh, that's that hurts. Like <laughs> I, I never really like cried or teared up weirdly enough, but like that that was the moment that finally like broke me. I needed a break. The part of that part that broke me is when they're carrying her and he's like, "Hey, can you put my coat on her? She's starting to get cold." And I'm like, "Oh, fuck, mm. dude!" God damn! I was like, <laughs> I put it down. I was like, "I'm gonna go stand in the rain for ten minutes." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, the like Colton would Colton there that moment killed me too because like the first time I read it, I was I admit I was kind of speeding through it, so I was just like, "Oh, okay, there's a future thing. They're all okay, right?" And uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Not at all. Oh man, I wish. Talking uh, to go back and fix it, and he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the golden man. rule like, of Tokyo Avengers is: if it seems good, it's not going to be for very. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I. There was definitely a point. I think it was around the point where they meet up with Kisaki and they're having drinks together. I'm like, I'm not falling for this again. <laughs> <laughs> not getting me. Yeah. Um. The other moments that I thought, I mean, obviously, we we kind of touched on it earlier, unfortunately, but like, you know, there was the bit where, um. I forget, I forget their names, but uh, Kazutora and Baji, they're trying to steal the bike, and Kazutora accidentally kills Mikey's brother. That was a great, like, oh, fuck moment. And then uh, the, the other one that I think really got me was uh, when we start learning about uh, uh, Inu and uh, Koko, in particular, who used to hang out with Taiju, 
you know, they, they uh, during like this last big arc that just got released, like, you know, we got to find out more about them. And, you know, they had this thing where like, you know, obviously they were friends and Coco was in love with uh, Inu's sister. And um, I mean, I, I had my reservations about that at first because like in kind of the lead up to the big reveal, like you kind of have a bit where like both Coco, Coco and Inu are like hanging out at the library and like Coco like kisses Inu like while he's oh, asleep. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I don't know how I felt. I, I wasn't sure how to feel about that. But I do think that it led up to that great like. Uh, it really kind of like blew my mind a little bit where Coco and his sister, Inu's sister, like just stopped talking. He's going home and then suddenly their house is on fire. And I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? And like he he thinks he saves his sister, but he saves Inu. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's what happens, huh? Yep. Uh, and, you know, uh, we're, we're kind of led to believe that, like, Coco is just this money-grubbing dude who literally will do anything for money. And I was joking with Sakaki. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, oh, man, they really pulled, like, a Leorio with uh, Coco here. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it, but they did. It's like, I, I like, only in Hunter x Hunter is the only other manga where I've seen that thing where it's like, oh, this character loves money because they're greedy, but it's like, oh no, they actually have like a like a good reason why they're trying to raise this money and you like root for them. Like that gets me every time. Yeah, I really I do find Coco and Inui very interesting, sympathetic characters. And I do think his character motivations were very compelling, though I was annoyed once again at that it relied upon fridging. And I also was kind of annoyed that there's kind of an... Uh, maybe it'll go somewhere, but it feels a little bit like queer baiting that he kissed in Wii in his sleep. But then the reasons because he sees so much of this, his sister in him, who he really loved. So No, like I said, I, I wasn't really too hot on that either because I, I wasn't sure like where it was going at all. It, it yeah. would have been cool if maybe that was like a subtle reveal like, oh, they actually like... They're like, they really love each other. I was really hoping whatever, it would be. But yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was hoping too, but... It would have it would have been cool to have actual like subtle representation in manga, but no. Well, how about even explicit representation? Like, why well, stop it subtle? But no. either or, yeah, either or, yeah. I think another good oh fuck moment for me. I, I talked about it earlier. I completely forgot about it until now. Is when uh, he comes back to the future and Akun is actually he's alive and he's got his like hairdresser or whatever, and then he jumps off a fucking building. Oh, oh man! Oh yeah, that <sighs> wrecked. I was like, yeah. oh, everything's fine. Damn. Oh. Oh no, it's not. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. like the slow yeah, the burn of the conversation that, was, that he yeah, pushed the him off. The... He, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, that, that 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 like less him jumping off the building because it, it felt like he wasn't going to live through the rest of that, that entire conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't surprise me, but more. The fact that he pushed him. Yeah. He was the one that pushed him in the train and everything. That's what got to me. And I was just like, what? You guys are friends. You don't do that. And then, like, yeah, then he revealed the reasons and everything like that. And, like, God. I guess we haven't really talked about him much. But um, how do we feel about Kurokawa in particular? Oh, Izana? Yeah, that's, that's uh, what I feel I like yeah. he was okay. just... Yeah. So, conceptually, I just feel like he's kind of a redo of Kage Tora in the sense that... Well, he has these abandonment issues, and so he takes that out of, like, wanting to punish the person who he feels, or he is scapegoating as the person responsible for, leading him to be alone, 
in this case, Mikey, like much like with Kagatora. But yeah, I think like uh, the contrasts are a little stronger than with Kagatora, just because like in his arc and his backstory, it's like this idea of like, okay, well, he was abandoned and he was left as an orphan and then he met uh, Kakucho and then they came up with this idea that they're going to start their own country that's going to look out for all these people who, you know, don't have families and who are also left alone and they'll call that Tenjuku and that's like their motivation. And that's a good parallel to what Toman is as a group as Toman is a collective of people who like bonded together to help each other, to have each other's backs. And then Tenjuku started out as this uh, dream of wanting to create a community in which like people who don't have families, who didn't have like people to support them growing up can now finally come together as like a surrogate family community. And then Hazana lost that way because he got disillusioned by like having the hope of, oh, he does have this connection. He does have family in uh, Mikey's brother. But then there he battle came crashing down when he learns that he doesn't have any blood connections to uh Mikey his brother Emma and so he really was like all alone and so that just kind of destroyed him because he thought that you know he did have family who really believed in him who was going to leave things behind him and so that just kind of kept him lashing out and then he blamed Mikey for that because of course you know like Mikey's brother you know, left Izana, eight generation of black dragons, but then he later learned that, oh, Mikey was the one who was meant to inherit black dragons. So he, he sees Mikey, he, he's envious of Mikey, of having that family connections and having that legacy to inherit that he never had. But then he realizes in death that he did have someone, obviously, beside him that whole time, someone who believed in him, someone who was basically like found him in Kakacho. And so I did find it very poignant and tragic that they basically died uh, together and their dream died with them together. But they did, ultimately they did leave behind, you know, people, a community that did respect and support them and his followers, even though up until that point, tragically, he did not see them as that community that he was building towards. He just saw them as tools towards that and didn't really realize that mistake till the end. I admit that Izan as a character, I felt was super all over the place up until the resolution of his arc, but I do think that ultimately it did come together and I thought it was pretty poignant and a good uh, thematic contrast uh, to Toman that was a very valuable exploration in the story. No, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I didn't even put that together until you mentioned it, but yeah, this is this is a better version of what they were trying to do with um, Kazutora. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I really appreciate it because I wasn't really sure what to make of Izana at first, but like, you know, uh, when Mikey and Ryugaji eventually show up and him and Mikey like have that big fight, uh, which was really cool. Like I- Izana was the only person throughout this whole series so far to give Mikey any kind of like challenge. And that was that was legitimately like really shocking and surprising. And it was a good fight. Mikey's kicks are always cool. They're oh, never not They're cool. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's even so better because he's so he's such a short guy too. So when he like he just launches his like like right down the middle of the air, just knocks a guy that's like twice his size down. It's always just fantastic. Yeah, I just imagine every time uh, Mikey does his kicks, he just he just does like the Peter Griffin thing where he does the kick. And he goes roundhouse. It's pretty <laughs> fun. <laughs> I also thought that the redemp the 
idea of offering like redemption uh to Izana, like Mikey like saying, Hey, I want to save you, even th- despite what you did, like you are still family, so I'm going to help you. I also thought that was pretty strong. And one thing though I do f- criticize and that I wasn't a fan of is like I think that Izana and Emma's connection could have been fleshed out more, the relationship fleshed out more. Yeah. Like, I feel like it is kind of annoying how flippantly like he tossed aside the sister he presumably was like raised with for like a lo- good chunk of his childhood and then like he just really does not think of or care about her much and we really don't have a good grasp of the relationship really other than obviously they were brother and sister for a time so and then again i think that's something that could have been stronger and that again feeds into my criticisms of how the series handled Emma as a character too but again i think there are the good in azana's arc still was something i was satisfied with like i think that they brought home the team of his character very well no yeah i wasn't really expecting like izana and kakucho to have like such a deep bond uh i really thought that whole thing was like uh resolved very well with them like playing in the snow and like them forming their own country and stuff and like you know them playing as kids I thought really tied everything together. And of course we get the whole, we, we, we get the whole like Naruto Sasuke thing, you know, where it's like, oh, they're like connected by blood or whatever. And I mean, th- this, I'm, I'm not trying to like make fun of it or anything. It's actually. also kind of like a, Z- yeah. the Zawa Zahaku thing where like, ah, oh, fucking yeah. it with the snow and everything. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that's legitimately like one of my favorite things, uh, like parts of Naruto. So that, that really reminded me of that as well. But, um, Again, I'm not trying to make fun of the scene because it is legitimately, like, very good. Um, but it's so tragic because, like, um, again, I'm sorry for all the comparisons, but the the bit where Mikey and Izana are fighting and, uh, you know, Mikey and him literally have, like, uh, the, the same moment from uh, from Invincible uh, earlier in the year where, you know, Izana's wondering, like, who he has left or whatever. And Mikey's just like, you have me, like... We have each other, like, we can be there for each other, like, we're still family. Like, that that got to me pretty hard. That was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I feel like we're taking up a lot of the conversation. I don't know if there's anything you guys want to add in here. I think you guys are a bit farther ahead than me. I'm, I'm, I think I'm just oh, mad. Right. I'm so I don't sorry. know, I'm going to read it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I'm going to read it, like, immediately when we're done here. Uh, I think I just, <laughs> the volume, I think I just saw the fight, like, the Tenjuku fight had just started, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. You guys were like, yeah, let's jump on the podcast. I was like, that just kind of assessment to the pacing, the fact that you said you left off at like eighteen, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so pretty much in a volume or two, it's done. So it's not like a thing that's like five volumes or anything like that. But in update, it's Pachin who was getting married. That that's who they were. Calling. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, no, I I was about to say it was. I was thinking it was Draken, but no, it was Pachin. I mean, they even go through and tell you what everybody's up to. I finally found the Japanese chapter, like, and it's really cool. Like, uh, Mitsuya is a fashion designer. Hakai is a model working at overseas. Yuzuha is Hakai's manager. The Kuwada brothers, uh, Smiley and Angry, they own a ramen shop. Kazutora helps out with it. Chifuyu owns a pet shop. Draken and Inup own a bike shop together. So yeah, they they go through everything. So you think, okay, this is the final chapter, but then it just keeps going. Interesting. <laughs> Although at the end of this chapter that I'm looking at now, like Takamichi does ask, "Where's Mikey?" Uh, mm-hmm. mm, man. Interesting. I like that they all have like businesses. Like none of them are just like generic workers at an office or something. <laughs> 
Like apparently, apparently, Pachin's like the son of a rich like guy uh, or something. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No. Uh, I I know you're okay with it, but I I still feel bad like spoiling a lot of this. But I oh, I will fine. say we 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 mentioned it earlier, but like God, you know, the cliffhanger at the end of Volume Twenty is. I'm gonna say is say like is. a I'm good. Read, I'm gonna know what it is in a few hours. <laughs> it's just well. Takamichi confronts <laughs> Kisaki finally. So yeah, and he had like the very last page is like Naoto saying I'm leaving it to you, and then Takamichi's like we're almost here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Takamichi is literally about to confront Kisaki, and I was I was gonna say like this. This is this is a good representation of like you know when we do the podcast like why when we like pick things to cover like I usually prefer that a thing be complete before we talk about it because so so that we don't end up with shit like this all right so I don't have to deal with cliffhangers like this <laughs> because I'm so angry I was I was literally like ranting at Sakaki on Discord yeah uh, you were <laughs> at like I don't know like twelve or one in the morning or whatever like fuck I can't believe I'm here I need more. <laughs> I got so bad. <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear what you guys think of like um, Kisaki's like story. I'm kind of mixed on it, but I don't want to say it here because I don't want to give you like I don't want you to have thoughts about it before you've read it. Yeah, I mean, my interpretation and perception of Kisaki and like why he has been doing what he does is that he is someone who is in search of power and authority but he isn't someone who necessarily wants to be in the spotlight he has this very telling conversation when he's talking with the former boss of mobius is like you know the moon can't shine without a strong sun or something like that and yeah he basically wants to be in the shadows being like the person behind this who has the true power but he doesn't want to be the figurehead and so that's why he wants someone who does have that strong charisma that people will follow and who can take the spotlight in Mikey. And that's why he is doing all these manipulated stuff to basically be Mikey's second, to be the moon to his son and grow his gang into something that will have the authority to basically rule the criminal underworld of Tokyo. And the motivations for that, like we have like this inkling of, okay, so Hina and him are friends of the past and we see like what he was like in the past he was kind of more someone who was a very passive like he wouldn't interfere like in that flashback scene of like how he and Takamiche first meet like Hina like runs to stop these bullies but then she gets accosted and then Takamichi runs in and even though you know obviously it's a fight he can't win like just that act of bravery was impressive. And so we don't really see what Kisaki's impressions or feelings on that was. But I have an inkling that, you know, he can't see himself as a hero. But he does want, you know, that same amount of power and respect and authority. So he's going to do that by being, like, the greatest villain or something. I might be misremembering this. Wasn't there, like, a hint, or not a hint, but, like, discussion that he might also be a timely person? Or yeah, that's also another thing is that the reason why Takamichi can't like radically change the future is that Kisaki is also changing the future a step ahead of him in reaction to him. So like I'm curious to see if that also does turn out to be the truth in the case. And so that will also be an interesting contrast between him and Takamichi. I want to say things, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I'm not going. I I I won't only because I don't know in the greater. This is why I'm mixed because. I don't know. Obviously, the series is still going. 
So there are obviously things that I don't want to jump and make a, and judge them until I know more of the um, background. But yeah, the, it's actually sort of mentioned in previous, like way back, like a little bit of what his not not that like they are outright saying, oh, this is his motivation. But it, his motivation is revealed somewhat in past chapters. OK, but it's yeah, I'm just sort of mixed on it. Can I can I just say my thoughts on like what's going on with Kisaki? Because I honestly the the fact that they're assuming that he's also a time leaper, uh, and you don't have to confirm or deny Sakaki, but I I'm I'm genuinely I'm thinking that's probably going to end up being true, um, or unless maybe it's not, then I'll be totally surprised. But um, something my my theory, bef- like uh, I guess like the further I got into the series, and I guess the further I got into the series, I I'm less sure of it. But, like, my, my crazy wackadoo kind of theory was that, like, oh, Kisaki is, like, the the nega version of of Takemichi. Like, he he's, like, the bad Takemichi or something. Because, like, I kind of thought that just because, like, they have kind of a similar-ish design in terms of, like, body type and the hair to me. And also the fact that, like, Hina also mentioned, like, oh, yeah, like, we, we were friends with him or whatever. And we both went to the same elementary school. And I was... I don't know. Like, I'm sure that's probably not it. I'm glad you said that, because I thought the same thing, and I was like, no, I'm just nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm curious to see how on the mark our theories are to what is actually when the 21st volume uh, gets published in English. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's a release date for it yet. And man, as, as soon as it drops, I'm, I'm going to... I was telling Sakaki this. I think I'm going to start buying these volumes every time they come out, because I need to keep reading this. Like I've I've never I've never been like so addicted to a series like it's been a it's been a long time since I've read something that like really has me on the edge of my seat like this it's kind of amazing yeah no I, that I, I'm with you on that one I mean I've read stuff that I've been like on the edge of my seat for but not in the sense that I've just immediately jumped to the Japanese version I'm I mean. I would probably even buy Weekly Shonen Magazine. It's given to me for the reasons I said before, but even if it weren't, I would probably buy the magazine weekly just to read Tokyo Revengers. <laughs> so, like... Oh, man. Yeah. But, again, I, I won't disapprove or approve... Uh, I mean, disavow or, you know, acknowledge anything here because I just really want to see what you guys' reaction will be when you finally read it yourselves. But the current arc is looking really good. And apparently it's going to be the final one, so... I'm interested in seeing how this will turn out because I thought I had heard somewhere that, like, the series seemed like it was being, like artificially extended or whatever but yeah, honestly i remember yeah. dakasu and manga mac that he gave that criticism but yeah i kind of disagree honestly like i there hasn't been a moment where i feel like oh it could have just ended here and it could just kept going or whatever like i feel like everything has been like necessary and important i i mean like this tenjiku arc felt kind of final ish but like hearing what sakikaki is saying about you know what happens after the resolution of the Jinjuku arc, and then again, like this final conflict of, hey, we still need to save Mikey. Like even doing all this, like there's still problems with Mikey that still haven't been resolved by this, and so there needs to be one last trip in order to save him. Like I think that's a fitting direction to go for like one final arc in the story, and like the news has come out that you know presumably this will be the final arc. So, you know, I think, you know, based on uh, what I've read so far and what I've heard, 
of the contents going forward. Like, yeah, this feels appropriate, uh, the direction of the story and the pacing of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I guess um, I know we're kind of running a little long here, but uh, and I think we should wrap up soon. But I guess um, did any of us have any other straight thoughts kind of before we start wrapping up soon or? Uh, I admit that I had little criticisms of some events in the story and other aspects here and there. I think one of the bigger ones that I kind of was not super impressed by was in uh, how, like, most of the fights with the big four in the Tenjuku arc were resolved with basically just this sudden twist of angry has kind of like this uh, super, like, transformation when he cries and then, like, he just beats up most of the big four and that was like, well, that was convenient. And like, Angry was a character that kind of was just introduced in this arc, kind of out of nowhere. And he was kind of defined by just this one gimmick of like, you know, he is, he's, has an angry demeanor, but he's actually very considerate. And so then like, suddenly he kind of hulks and just basically beats up like these obstacles just very conveniently i thought that was kind of a weak writing choice uh, even though ultimately i do like uh, the confrontations and some of the conversations that happened in those confrontations i just thought the revolution of that could be stronger i totally agree with that but i i think i'm more okay with it personally just because like you know while he does kind of take out the rest of the tenjuku big four I do like that in exchange that like the other, I guess, top fighters of Toman were taken out along with them just to kind of even things out. But I, I totally no, understand. That's not like, very yeah. satisfying to me. Like I thought, you know, it'd been nice to have Shifuyu have his revenge mask against that one uh, admin guy. I think that, you know, I, I thought it was super cool that they had Hakai and Angry team up because I thought they were going to make a great, you know, uh, thematic idea. That's like, hey, these are the younger brothers who, you know, haven't had like the best teamwork with their older brothers and don't have like super great teamwork because of how they've been raised as younger brothers so far. But then they, because they can understand each other's situations as fellow younger siblings, they start to work together very well and that allows them to be like this teamwork of like the very insane Kaitani brothers but I, I'm kind of disappointed that didn't pan out and just angry ended up beating them up just by himself uh, I also thought that you know the one other criticism I have with New York is I do feel that there are a lot of loyalty switches or introduction to characters that just kept and suddenly like it wasn't super enthralled by Yas like Muto's defection because like he didn't really have a whole lot of presence in the story uh before then and then like suddenly we're getting all this like exposition of like oh uh the fifth gang of Toman is the morale committee and we're in charge of uh basically yeah up the other gangs and yeah like you know he was pretty kind of an underdeveloped character so I, I didn't really feel that much for him and it's like i just felt like the series was like well uh we didn't really do much with this guy so i guess we'll we'll just have this guy make a heel turn uh for the drama of it uh so i have small criticisms about like story beats like that but overall like i think that the overall tenjutko arc had told a pretty good story uh and developed the themes of the series very well i guess i'm just uh I wish I could have been more uh, enthralled 
and felt as strongly, you know, emotionally about, you know, the Emma twist as uh, you guys, like, felt as devastated by that because it, it was kind of, like, taking it back. But what I will say is that I do really appreciate Mikey's reaction to that and, like, how he can't really process what's happening. He's trying to deny it. And oh, man. He's trying to, you know, he... Look, keep his composure and I, I thought that was a strong thing and I in general I do appreciate Mikey's character as like someone who really doesn't know how to maturely process grief and his feelings and so his way to process that the, the how he reacts to that is that he either becomes very angry or he becomes super emotionally detached and that those states are what allows him to be manipulated by Kasaki in the future because he just loses like his sense of himself and how he feels. And that just allows him to become, you know, just so emotionally detached to the point that in the future, like he basically kills off his former friends. So I think that aspect of Mikey's character and like the fact that he just doesn't know how to process his own pain and grief. And he needs someone to help him guide him through that. It's very compelling. And so I am very curious and intrigued to like read the final arc of the story since that seems to be what that final leg of the story is going to be addressing. So that's, uh, I guess, my final take is that I am very intrigued in the, to read the rest of Tokyo Revengers. And I think it has a lot of really strong uh, character writing themes in it. I do have a lot of misgivings. I, I Again, I, I will once again reemphasize, I think the biggest one is just how it uses and treats its female characters, but, and then just some of the plot conveniences. Like, I do think it's a little convenient that Takamichi often will just kind of find himself like meeting a person or will just basically uh, be in the right place at the right time to learn certain bits of exposition that will be helpful to him. But I don't think that's necessarily a, a big deal. It just found like, oh, it's kind of convenient. Like in the time leap after the Valhalla arc, like when he goes back to the past to, you know, change the black dragons from being integrated to Toman. Like he just happens to be bowling next to Hakai and Yuzaha and then they strike up a friendship from there. It's just stuff like that. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of inconvenient right place right thing but that's not a big criticism overall i think that ultimately like the series does have a lot of really compelling characters and good messages to offer and i would recommend it like i did overall enjoy reading it even though there were moments that i wasn't a fan of like i think overall the sum of its parts are very strong i totally agree um i'm assuming sakaki and zach you probably agree too yeah yeah yeah, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed the series, even with my second reread, like, little things niggled at me, but nothing that I'd say, like, okay, this isn't worth reading, or maybe I was wrong about it. Although, I mean, going back to just real, real quick, like, looking through the Japanese issues again, Takamichi totally pulls a Luffy on Mikey, and I love this. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, um, as he takes his hand to, like, you know, for the last, you know, uh, going back to the past, you know, Mikey's, like, he wants to die. Yeah, they, like, fight, and then they, he's falling out of the side of a building, and Takemichi's holding him up. He's like, why are you always like this? You know, <laughs> if you tell me that you want my help, and I'll help you. <laughs> like, it, it, it's totally, Mikey's just, like, it's totally, like, Robin. Enius Lobby. Yeah. Or, yes, it's the Enius Lobby, where he's like, tell me you want to live. <laughs> and Mikey, and, like, Mikey, Takemichi, I want to live! <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah, Mikey's just, like, in tears, help me! 
And that's when the transport, like, they're holding hands, so it's not, it doesn't take effect until Mikey finally realizes, I need Takamichi's help. Then that's when the handshake takes effect, and they, he goes back in time again. Oh, man. But yeah, I, I would, I would definitely, I, I, I agree with um, Lum's, like, uh, reservations for the series. But, and I also agree, too, that the sum of its parts adds up to something that's really just great to experience. And the fact that, like, most of all, as Colton said at the beginning of the show, it is just a super readable series. Oh, my God, yeah. Once you find your leg, you get your leg in the door, and you find that point, it, it, everybody's going to find their Arlong Park moment of this series at <laughs> yeah. some point. Some people will get in there in Volume 1, and that's all they need, like uh, Zach. And then other people will take a little bit more. Into, but basically, you find it at Arlong Park, and you're just going to cruise the rest of the way through. And not in a bad way, where it's like, a, it's kind of ineffectual. But no, it is just that easy to read, easy to digest. By the time you get to Volume 21, it's just like, God, I, I, I need another one of this. <laughs> like, it's just very, very good. I had to force myself to put the series down a few times. Otherwise, I would have, like, read all of it too soon or whatever before the show. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my god um but yeah i guess just to kind of end things off i mean i just want to emphasize i know scores don't mean anything for some people and this is just my personal opinion before anybody has a problem but <laughs> for for me uh, i mean even before this series ends i'm pretty comfortable with giving this like an eight out of ten so far like i, I really really enjoyed this even even despite some of the criticism we have i i just think it's a wonderful experience and it's it's an it's an experience that like I don't think I've really had with a series in a while, so I think that makes it especially special for me specifically. That would be my thinking too. Yeah, yeah. Th th I mean, this is probably and I I'm, I'm putting on my hipster goggles right now, but this <laughs> is probably the one series that's selling super duper well that I'm actually like, yeah, yeah. But did you did you like it before it was cool though? Is the real question. I liked it when it got the anime announcement, so I guess I was like, somewhere in there. <laughs> I liked it two years ago, so. <laughs> okay, well, damn. your goggles are just that much tighter than mine. <laughs> I'm cu I'm cutting off circulation in my brain. They're so tight. <laughs> but yeah, no, there there. It's very rare for me to be like, okay, there's this super duper popular series. Well, no, I shouldn't say it's that rare. I like JJK. So, but yeah, this super popular series. Damn it, Demon Slayer. <laughs> Maybe I'm not that much of a hipster after all. <laughs> <laughs> not as cool but as you think. Either, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but either way, yeah, this is one definitely one of those series where I'm just like, it sells super well, and I totally think it deserves every penny it gets. Mm -hmm. The way I score series is a little different in terms of like, I I don't really give things above a seven that I haven't revisited. But that's fair. I will say that I can't. I do see myself revisiting parts of this. I would be interested in revisiting the series like beginning to end when uh it is fully complete because there is a lot about the series that i enjoy that i would like to re-experience it so even though i do have a lot of criticisms and because of those criticisms i don't know if i would consider it a favorite uh any time down the line i do think there's just a lot of very strong parts. And I would say, I do think the Black Dragon's arc is such a good arc that I could see myself considering it like among my favorite arcs ever. So I think that is a pretty high praise for that stretch of the story in particular. Oh, yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, uh, Tokyo Revengers is good. You should go out and read it. It's available digitally from Kodansha USA. Um, they really need to put this up on like um, Mangamo or somewhere for people to read. Because I, I tried on, looking. Wasn't it on um, Comixology for a while there? And then they took oh, it down? It was on Unlimited. It's actually an interesting story about that. Because we were supposed to do yeah. this months ago, weren't we? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were banking on the fact that we'd be able to read it on Comixology Unlimited, but then suddenly, like in early February, they just took it off just for no reason. Thanks, Luckily, Comixology. I had downloaded the volumes already, and they did not revoke those downloads, so I basically have those volumes in perpetuity as long as I have Unlimited, but... And that's how we and Colton were able to read it. And then we just bought the other street. But yeah, it's it's annoying. I hope they re-add it to Unlimited for people to check it out. And yeah, it should be made accessible on other platforms like Unlimited. Or uh, Magabo Red. Especially considering like Kodansha USA is going so out of its way to make its all of its stuff like as available as possible. I'm I'm kinda surprised that that at least like the first two volumes like aren't like available to read on like one of these services. Like I, I think they're really missing out on some traffic there, but that's just me. Um but yeah, I mean however you can get it, you know, like buy it digitally. Uh I bought some volumes on Bookwalker. Like it's it's available where you could buy digital manga, so please go and support it. And, um, yeah, I think we can finally end the podcast there. Um, Zach, first off, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. Maybe even for, like, a follow-up on this, because honestly, yeah. depending on how this ends, like, we we might have to, like, come back and talk about it when it finishes or whatever, because I would be up for talking more about it in the future. Yeah, I'm done. That'd be a good bonus pod idea. I think we should do that eventually. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll pencil it in. Name a time and place. I'll be there. <laughs> Same. But again, thank you for coming on. And um, I guess at this point, if you just want to go ahead and uh, uh, plug your stuff and let people know where they can find you. Yeah, you guys can find me mostly on YouTube. Uh, just type in Uchu Shelf to use Shelf. Um, bald guy with a beard can't can't miss me really. <laughs> <laughs> Stick out like a sore thumb. Pretty much. <laughs> And then I guess um, Sakaki, you want to go ahead and plug your stuff? Sure. Uh, you can find me at WSS Talkback on Twitter. That's the weekly Shogakukan edition where I talk about all kinds of Shonen Sunday stuff. Um, uh, mostly, it's mostly a focus on weekly Shonen Sunday, but I try to dabble in you know the other Shogakukan magazines, Big Comic, Guess On, all of those. Um, yeah, and also wsstalkback.blogspot.com which is where the blog side of things where we review manga, we post translations with like the creators or the editors of ShogakuCon and everything like that and as always if anybody's interested in writing about ShogakuCon manga or ShogakuCon series whether it's going, currently running or has ended or you just want to, you know, expand our knowledge about something that you enjoyed about the ShogakuCon thing, by all means please join us because I would love to have more people uh, I'm and I'm always really bad at doing this, but I'm also on podcasts as mentioned a couple of times with V Lord and Marion, the Demon Slayer podcast, uh, and the Oversoul podcast, which is Demon Slayer and Shaman King, respectively. And I also write for Toonami Faithful, which I should really get on one article I've been kind of post kind of procrastinating on. Uh, and besides that, oh, right, my 
per, like private Twitter, Kiro, not private, but personal Twitter, Kirobon, K-I-I-R-O-B-O-N. There's really nothing there, so you can just ignore it. <laughs> I'm going to just stop. I'm going to stop plugging it at some point. Anyway, uh, and there's one other thing I'm doing with Colton, and that is another day, another adventure. Um, I don't know, Colton, do you want to handle dress it or should I just... I guess just real quick, yeah. So Sakaki and I, we kind of joked about it earlier. Um, that, uh, we are going through all of Dragon Ball as far as, like, the anime goes. We're covering, we're doing our best to try to cover all the franchise. We're in the middle of covering the original 1986 Dragon Ball anime at Another Day, Another Adventure, otherwise known as Another DB Pod. That's where you could follow it on Twitter in particular. Um, hopefully by the time this episode of the podcast is out, uh, we will start uploading those publicly on their own main feed. By the time you're listening to this, that should be taken care of, or at the very least around the corner. Um, so yeah, I mean, until then, like, I've been posting early editions of the episodes on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where you can listen to the newest five episodes of that podcast for $3. And uh, basically, every time I put up a new episode of that on the Patreon, I'll put up the oldest episode on our main feed. That's kind of how we're doing things right now. I have a lot of big plans for that podcast. Sakaki and I are looking forward to the just the hordes and hordes of guests that we're planning on having on for that show that I already have planned. And yeah, I'm 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 really looking forward to it. So yeah, if you want to hear us talk about Dragon Ball, that's where you could find us. Uh, Sakaki, was there anything else you wanted to plug? No, oh, that's it. All right. Well, um, this has been a really fun podcast, and uh, Lum, I guess. Uh, I guess just I guess meetings adjourned. Manga Mavericks gang, we'll uh, we'll meet up and talk about Tokyo Revengers. Hopefully another day, but I think until then we can go into community shoutouts, huh? Yep, gang dismissed. But just know that if you put out the call, we'll come a running. And then our motorcycles just uh, ran into the distance anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Zach and Sakaki for coming on the show to discuss Tokyo Revengers with us. It was a really great discussion about a very interesting series, and we definitely really appreciated their thoughts and insights on what they really enjoyed about it, on story developments, and it's always just a pleasure talking with them. And for my first community shout-out, I definitely want to, once again, we brought it up at the beginning of the show, but definitely recommend Zach's YouTube channel, because he has been doing a lot of really great work on there. And in particular, the video I want to shout-out and recommend is his interview with Masamura Junishi, the author of Children of Mutown. And in the interview, Zach discusses with Masamura kind of the inspirations behind Children of Mutan, kind of the themes, the ideas he had going into it, kind of his background as a mangaka, his new work, Baku-chan. And it's a really interesting conversation about kind of an indie manga creator and what that's like, what the underground manga scene is like, and the state of the manga industry. It's a really fantastic interview, and definitely check it out. It's just really cool that... Zach was able to interview a mangaka, not just a mangaka, like the mangaka behind one of his favorite manga of all time. And it was really, really great listening to. It definitely made me want to get to check it out, Children Mutan, really, really soon. And I'm looking forward to more of Masamura Junichi Future Works as well, because they have a really cool philosophy behind their works. Now, as for more Tokyo Revengers shoutouts, I definitely want to shout out 
Nick Dupree's reviews over on ANN for the series because they've been doing a good job kind of analyzing every episode and the turns and of the story and honing in on the character arcs and themes. And I think they've done some pretty fair reviews on the series and it's doing sense on the kind of messier parts it have too that we also discussed about on our podcast. So I think that if you want some good impressions of the anime and also of some of the anime specific issues we also brought up like early on them trying to obscure the manga a bit and then some of the kind of production things that are kind of awry sometimes in the anime. I think it's like very very good reviews that Nick was writing out and continuing to write out as the show continues on into its second core. For more impressions of the manga, definitely check out Manga Magnation's Triple Dip on Tokyo Revengers from a few months ago where the crew read the first volume of Tokyo Revengers and they share their thoughts and they also had some good impressions back then. Morgana, of course, being the most enthusiastic because it was an inkling with manga, which is also fun. But yeah, like, I think... Uh, they had some good impressions, especially since Akatsu's been keeping up with the series, so he can also provide kind of the perspective of where the story is right now, where he thinks it's going, and his thoughts on how it's developed. So, very good impressions of that. And then I was also nice, I liked their uh, impressions of Oishimbo Generation, which the other series they reviewed on the episode is particularly Oishimbo, which I really love, and it was just nice to hear their impressions on the series, and that's probably the longest uh, discussion for a series on that episode, too. Yeah, I um I, I really like their discussion on Oishimbo too as someone who still hasn't like gotten to it but like is on their reading list. Yeah. I mean Doc Asu's background with Oishimbo because he grew up on it is also very interesting to hear. And I appreciate the discussion of like the politics of Oishimbo and it's kinda of sometimes they can be a conservative, sometimes they are seem like they're leaning progressive. It is very interesting. It's one of the most interesting about the series as I've been watching it, is kinda of like it is a very political manga, but it's like in some ways progressive, some ways it definitely feels a little more conservative. So it's, it's interesting to navigate through in that way. But yeah, I appreciated that discussion. I also appreciate the discussion, of course, on Wiz's release and how they use the best of collections and how that kind of affects the reading experience and appreciation of the stories. So that was a very good discussion on that series, too. It was good, yeah. Um, can, can I can I just say something real quick? I don't mean to interrupt your community shoutouts, but um, I don't know if we've like recommend. I mean, obviously we recommended the show before, but um, you know, if anybody wants even more discussion on Oishimbo, I thought the manga explaining episode on it was very good as well. Yes, that was also a very good episode. But yeah, my last shoutouts have nothing really to do with manga, but this weekend that we are recording this, Space Jam came out, and I watched it, and uh, I've had Space Jam Looney on the mind recently, and I want to recommend Jack Sane's video essay on Space Jam, which takes the movie and uses it as a launching point to kind of examine and dissect like the American values of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and how under capitalism like that last part in particular is not protected and the way that statement is phrased is done in such a way just to encourage complacency leads to the status norm so that we can't really imagine a system of living outside of capitalism and how the movie and Michael Jordan's character arc in the movie kind of reflects that because Michael Jordan as like one of the most kind of successful people 
people of all time. Like in the movie itself, even though he's had all the success, he's shown in a state of unhappiness and he can only imagine like breaking free of like the constraints of his life in the Looney Tunes world where he just can imagine he can do something. And obviously the movie itself has very kind of interesting blatantly about the exploitation of capitalism because the whole plot of the movie is about like the nerd looks like trying to come to earth to enslave the looney tunes so they can work at their amusement park because they need new resources to exploit in order to attract customers so they live in like a kind of only slightly more exaggerated version of the capitalist telescape we live in. So it's very, very interesting that they were able to extrapolate some really great uh, social analysis uh, from Space Jam. And it's a really fantastic video in that regard. But uh, my final shout out is going to be more on the Looney Tunes themselves. And also just this channel in particular, Kaiser Beams is doing a great video series on the Looney Tunes called The Merry History of the Looney Tunes, really going to the history of Looney Tunes all the way from its very early days and founding and original characters like Bosco and basically tracking the development of the Warner Brothers Animation Studio throughout the years, throughout change in ownership and management. And it's been a really great historical documentary series on the rise of the Looney Tunes and like the various production shuttles, how certain characters were developed. I really, really find it very fascinating. I always love look backs into animation history and they're doing a fantastic job. Kaiser Beans channel is also really just great in general. They actually mainly specialize in anime videos and they do a lot of classic anime reviews. They in fact did one on Yours the Are Only You recently, which I really enjoyed. So, you know, if you want like a variety of different like classic anime reviews in addition to this great video essay series on the Looney Tunes, like definitely check their channel out. They do some really, really great video essays. And that about does it for my shout outs for this week and I think that we our work here is done in the past or rather I guess we're in the future now so I guess we'll go back to the past just to check on how things are so before we do that travel once again I think we'll wrap up by telling us where you telling you guys where you can find us and uh, get on our way yeah yeah and uh Lum I think as always you should go first and let people know where they can find you in particular you can find me at LumRomiyasha on Twitter and LumRomiyasha at a variety of places like Amish Revelation and Analyst. Wherever it is at LumRomiyasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on allthatchcom.com. we got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going on, so look forward to more in there. That's also where you can find the other podcasts I do, including Manga Sad Movies, a show where we talk mainly about anime movies, and hashtag LumSquad, the show where me and my good friend Andrew A.C. Yoshimura discuss the wonderful and wacky world of Yurisei Opsara from Ruko to Hakahashi, and we've been going through and keeping up with Wiz's releases of the manga, and we've been digging into the movies now that are available on Crunchyroll. We're really, really excited for what's in store with the show as we get into future manga content and touch upon the other movies. We're definitely a big chance for Beautiful Dreamer in particular. And so, yeah, definitely look forward to more episodes of Love Squad. You can follow that at Lum underscore squad on Twitter, and that's also on every podcast platform you can think of, like Apple Pocket, wherever manga always is, you can find that as well. And if you like the art that I do, the art I draw for my podcast, the art I make in general, illustrations, animations, you can find that on my Instagram at Set Artworks. All right. But as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. Uh, I also host and produce a lot of other podcasts besides this one. 
uh, that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com, where you can basically find links to shows such as uh, One Podcast Prevails, a podcast I do about Detective Conan slash Case Closed, uh, the manga in particular, as well as uh, Just a Gintama podcast, the SSAA podcast, basically whatever podcast I've like guested on, you know, either recently or in the past, just in general. You know, I, I try to keep that as updated as possible, but... You know, if you again, uh, if you're interested in anything else I do, you can find links to all my other shows again at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, as for everything else, uh, I guess as for uh, Manga Mavericks and All Comic, uh, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks on all-comic.com, so we can find every episode first. Unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you have the chance to basically listen to early editions of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited. Uh, basically, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's supposed to go out, we'll basically put it on our Patreon first. And again, that's kind of depending on how our schedule works out and when we have time. Uh, we haven't really been uploading a lot of those recently, but again, that tier is basically for when we have something done like way, way in the future and we want to put it up. We'll basically put it up there so you'll have access to at least select episodes of the podcast before anyone else. Um, but if you want a more, I guess, reliable kind of string of content every month, you basically want to subscribe to our $5 tier, where basically at the end of every month, you're guaranteed at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. Um, so... At the end of this month, uh, I can't believe I didn't say it at the top of the show, actually. We did a special recording. Uh, all of us, uh, alumni, uh, V-Lord and Sakaki, all recorded in the same room together because we basically hung out uh, in my hometown of uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, yeah, it was it was fun. We just kind of talked about everything we, we, we kind of did over the weekend, or at least part of the weekend, as well as our thoughts on Dragon Ball Evolution, because we watched that together. It was pretty fun. Um, it was also Sakaki's first time in particular watching that movie. So if you want to hear us talk about Dragon Ball Evolution, uh, that is going to be up uh, on our Patreon at the end of this month, at the end of July. Uh, actually, for all patrons, I should say, uh, we're making that available for all patrons. So even if you're not at the $5 tier, you'll get to listen to that as just kind of a special treat from us to you. Um, and so, yeah, basically sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks if you want to listen to that at the end of the month, as well as our collection of bonus podcasts that we've kind of done over the past uh, two, two years-ish on the Patreon. We have so much for you guys to listen to. Again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. But yeah, as for everything else, uh, you could follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we sometimes upload different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, you know, do you have any thoughts on Tokyo Avengers? Uh, do you have any thoughts on just manga and the industry, manga in general? Uh, anything you're reading that you want to tell us about uh, or that you want us to talk about on the show? Again, email us anything about manga or the podcast and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails. Again, that's at manga mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts, especially on Apple Podcasts. 
we would love you guys to leave a, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps the visibility of our show on that platform. And just in general, we just love getting feedback from you guys. And we obviously use that feedback and take that as seriously as possible in order to make the show that much better. But yeah, that's going to be about it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 166 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. And we will see you guys next time for episode 167. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.